When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Ah, uh, we're back. Uh, sorry for that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we were uh, running all kinds of spots and ads and had to try to regroup and get back on track. But here we are, ready to take you to the break of dawn. So once we've uh, ironed out all the schematics, we'll be able to uh, integrate the music, conflate the cuts, uh, and obviously go to your calls. So you can immediately hit us up, 1-800-848-9222. Yes, we are alive. We are well. We are broadcasting. We are the most powerful radio station, not just in this nation, but when dusk uh, hits, we are a global entity. Bigger than the BBC 1, 2, 3, and 4 combined. And especially if you happen to be listening uh, on the modern day technology, that makes us a global uh, network to the break of dawn. Uh, with your app, download it on your streaming uh, laptop or your worktop computer. You can catch the 50,000 powerful watts of sound now hitting 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe. And right on down to Davy Jones's locker. Uh, let's see if we can uh, work out the kinks here. Give me. Uh... Okay, all right, we're back. We got our conflation of music here as we're moving into a period of time in which we are getting ready for the Ring of Fire solar eclipse. That will be coming to us within hours. The demonstrations that have occurred here in our city, both pro and con, uh, pro Hamas, pro Palestinians, pro Israel. We got it all for you. And we'll put it all together by the time you leave us at six, because nobody's going to go to sleep till the break of dawn. You are definitely going to have a belly full of information that you just would not have gotten from any other entity. Not talk TV, not any other talk radio uh, station, uh, not news outlets, not on your Internet, not on your stream, uh, listening to some foreign entities. Now you keep it right here because we're into that cycle where it's WABC and the acronym stands. For always uh, broadcasting Curtis.
now we're starting to kick it in. Now we're starting to move on all cycles. We were only on uh, one cell discronificator. Our Cracker Jack engineer, Dan, has come from parts unknown to fire up all the other cells on our discronificator. And now every aspect of this great broadcasting entity known as WABC is fired up and ready to go. Whether you happen to be listening on your old-fashioned radio that has taken you through the years as you turn it in and you pop that dial... Well, that's okay, but there's so many other ways to listen to it, and yep, we've just about got to where we need to be. We're reaching the apex. I can just see, I can see the meter here. We're almost at that point of 50,000 powerful watts of sound. Our FM affiliate is now kicking in. That's WLIR, which reaches the east end of Long Island, as far out as you can go. That's right. Now we have our FM affiliate. It's up. It has merged with our AM Power of Tower in Lodi, New Jersey. And we're just about ready to fire up on all of our cylinders. So you got AM, which is active minded, merging with FM, which stands for freaking morons, feeble minded, fornicating madly. And of course, free marijuana and Frank Morano. So we're just about there. Now let's test out the phone lines, ladies and gentlemen. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And, uh, yep, yep, I see, I see, oh, I see the conciliator here is just about at that point in which it has achieved what we normally have in broadcasting in the AM and PM. So let's get right down to it. We have coming at us the Ring of Fire solar eclipse this Saturday. But before we get into all of that, let's test out uh, Broadway Bill Lee, uh, the sound that was coming from the streets of New York City near Times Square. The marches, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, anti-USA, anti-Israel, were moving towards the Israeli consulate, which is on 2nd Avenue uh, between 42nd and 43rd. And uh, they had a chant, a consistent chant. That would be 33. Let's test that out. 33, in which they were screaming, Israel, you can't hide. You're committing genocide. Free Palestine from the river to the sea. Let's let's see if we can actually connect into it. Israel, you can't hide. Israel, you can't hide. 
as they were practicing their chants, marching in the streets. It's interesting that Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. What, what happens to Israel there? From the river to the sea, that, that must mean they're pushing the Jews into the sea because <laughs> there's no room for Israel. I've been there three times. And so from the river, they must mean the Jordan River to the sea. You know, the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized by St. John the Baptist, although every time I've been there to look at the Jordan River, oh, it's just a little stream of water. And that's uh, one of the big battles in the Middle East and Persian Gulf is for water, olives, olive oil, and land, obviously. The fight over whose land it is. And we're in the midst of that now. The uh, Israeli forces have uh, conducted an incursion into the Gaza through the north. Uh, They're advising uh, the Palestinians who live in Gaza to exit through the south as the Egyptians are allowing a stream of the uh, folks in Gaza to leave by the Rafah exit and entrance which is the way into the Sinai. There's eight miles of barrier there that separates uh, the Sinai owned by Egypt uh, with Gaza, whereas the Israelis on their side of the barrier have about 32 miles uh, that they have barriers uh, that separate them uh, from the Palestinians who live on the Gazan side. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. W.A.B.C. Uh, a few of the other chants uh, that were very prominent today. Today was the day that the uh, Palestinian uh, element took over the Free Palestine. Uh, F uh, America, F uh, Israel uh, segment was out in force today uh, where they were screaming, not terrorism. No, that's not what Hamas is. They're freedom fighters. That's number 20, number 20. Well, in fact, let's uh, test out. Let's test out the phone. See how they're working. Oh, there. What happened yesterday with terrorism? What happened yesterday was freedom fighters fighting for freedom. And I want to make one point. Every person that died yesterday was not innocent. It's our job. It's our job here in the West to wake people up. It's our job to show people who the real terrorists. It's our job to show and fight. Yeah, it's our job to uh, show who the real terrorists are. And they went on and on. Then there were the salutes to Hamas, the salutes to Hamas. That's uh, 21. I think that we should all give an applaud right now to Hamas for a job well done. When they woke up in the morning and they found, and they found the field hands in the house, with a knife ready to cut their f***ing throat. I was late to the news, but when I heard it, I smiled. I don't want to hear that bull 250, 250 innocent Israelis are dead. Again, I swear, I salute Hamas. A job well done. Yep. Yeah, lots of those loons out there. But in reality, in comparison to the summer of 2020 
and the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands that are taken to the street, uh, these numbers paled in comparison. I'll give you a breakdown because I certainly had an opportunity to look at the makeup of all the different protests, whether they were pro-Israel, whether they were pro-Hamas, or whether they were out there saying, hey, uh, their demonstrations just not to have war between the two. On the Palestinian side, I'd say the makeup was predominantly those who were here who have uh, come from a past in which their parents or grandparents uh, were from Arabic-speaking nations for the most part. And then you had uh, quite a few of the uh, white hipster and millennials, the ones who uh, would consistently identify themselves as socialists, communists, Antifa, those types. Uh, blacks pretty much stood on the sidelines. Uh, likewise, Hispanics. Didn't see many Hispanics at all. No Asians. Almost no Asians. Uh, and no ethnic whites. She had a large proportion of the overall population that I didn't see participation in at all. In fact, uh, in just having conversations with people not involved with either side, there just didn't seem to be all that much interest in it. It seemed to be like, oh, this is tribal. Here we go again. The Arabs are fighting Israel. Israel is fighting the Arabs. On the support, the Israel side, almost everybody there were Jews, or at least appeared to be Jews. Uh, everybody came with Israeli flags. Uh, I really didn't see uh, many other people involved, anybody identifying themselves as like Gentiles for Israel, anything like that. It was very tribal, very tribal. Again, blacks were not uh, getting involved. Neither were Hispanics, uh, neither were white ethnics, and neither were Asians. And that's a large percentage of the population. So, you had a smaller segment of the population and even smaller segments of those populations participating. And it was mostly college students. It was almost like a battle of fraternities and sororities. You look up the, at the makeup of most of these demonstrators, and clearly uh, they were they were going to institutions of learning of some type or another in just uh, brief conversations, uh, city university folks, uh, private universities, uh, Ivy League schools. They come from a wide uh, variety, uh, highly educated. Palestinians, uh, most uh, college educated, about 50% who are living here. Uh, Likewise, obviously, even more uh, who are Jews. So it's not like you had uh, a lot of uh, folks in the streets uh, who were high school dropouts and were just like ready to come to blows. Uh, for all the heated rhetoric, for all the arguing, screaming, yelling, finger-pointing, didn't really see much violence at all. In fact, in some instances, it was, believe it or not, Jew versus Jew. Uh, Jewish uh, supporters of uh, Hamas and the Palestinians uh, battling uh, Jews who were supporting Israel. In a number of the situations, it's turned out, uh, you have sort of uh, the self-hating Jews, uh, deciding uh, to join in with the lot that would like to uh, destroy them uh, for whatever reason, whether they believe in them uh, ideologically or they just don't uh, uh, like Israel or the fact that it's a religious state, whatever the reason. Uh, a lot of the fights involve Jews versus Jews. That's really what it came down to. And again, just from my observations of being out in the streets at a number of these demonstrations, 
We're not talking about uneducated people. We're talking about educated people on both sides for the most part. Not everybody, uh, but uh, a lot of what I've seen. And by the way, we should all be so happy. Uh, Chuck Schumer has decided to take a delegation over to Israel, a prominent uh, Jewish elected officials. It'll probably all be Democrats. I don't know what help, if any, he can lend there. Uh, but as long as he's not here, it makes me happy. Oh, my God. Everybody grandstanding. Everybody grandstanding. And uh, could I have my 60 minutes clock? Could I have my 60 minutes clock? Because we've been down this road before. I would anticipate that the whole world will begin turning on Israel in about eight days. I'd say about eight days you will see the mass majority of countries in the world, including those that consider themselves to be allies of Israel like ourselves, will suddenly be turning on Israel and saying, proportionally, you have killed more of the Palestinians, more of Hamas, more of Islamic Jihad, more of Fatah, maybe even more of Hezbollah if it uh, breaks out into an all-out land grab, land uh, battle up at the border that separates Lebanon uh, in the northern part of Israel from Israel itself. And uh, the world will say proportionally, that's it, got to stop, call ceasefire. I don't know how you do that in war. I don't know how you figure out analytics that in a war. Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Uh, uh, It's now 1246 East Coast time, yes. Uh, Israel has approximately seven days to get this job done. I don't know if they can do it in seven days, <laughs> but already the world ever so slowly is turning against him. You see, the world loves victims. They loved it when we got hit as uh, we were um, sleeping at the wheel during 9-11. Oh, everybody loved America then. Almost everybody loved America. They love weakness. They love victims. Everybody loved Israel after the pogrom, the slaughter, uh, the mass uh, killings that occurred uh, by those commando units uh, that went through the wall, under the wall, over the wall, the barrier that separated them from the Israeli side of uh, South Israel from Gaza. Uh, Israel, oh, they had to, they had to support them any. But the moment they showed any strength, the moment they showed that they're going to fight back and they're going to kill and they're going to wipe out Hamas, that's it. This proportionality. It's almost like you get a quota. You get a quota. I've never heard of this in war. But once you reach a certain quota, the rest of the world says, stop, that's enough. But wait, I got him on the mat. I'm going to choke him out. He'll never do this. No, you got to allow him to live for another day. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Strong, the van, I thought your eyes are wide. 
Uh, the oscillator is now oscillating at the right uh, point of reception. So uh, we have a number of you who have called in. I think it's time to check out our phone uh, apparatus to make sure it's up and running. As we had a uh, brief uh, sort of meltdown of our system, uh, it's almost like it had a mind of its own. The phone system went one way. The um, the Tower of Power went a different way. Our FM station decided it wanted a divorce from our AM station. And our crack engineer, Dan, had a role in here and put it all back together again, like Humpty Dumpty, who took a great fall. And now... We're all back together like it never happened before. Let's try uh, Brian in Valley Stream. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Brian. I'm having some problems here. So we will continue on as I'll just keep jawboning here until we have figured out the uh, phone uh, calling component on our uh, Ouija board uh, that will either give us good news uh, by the break of dawn or will give us bad news. But we'll have it all fixed up uh, as we uh, approach when sun rises and then all of a sudden a different schedule uh, pops in. But, hey, none of you are going to sleep because I'll just talk right through all six hours. So uh, let me give you an analysis of what I saw out there amongst uh, the many demonstrators. Okay, now, we see it in a large way because if you know anything about Palestinians or Palestinian supporters, most of them in the United States, they're living in our area. New York City, large group of uh, Palestinians out in Bensonhurst, that whole area, uh, Coney Island Avenue, lots of Palestinians. I call them the Pally Boys, and of course in uh, northern New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey, a lot, a lot of Palestinians. So we uh, we had the biggest demonstrations of all around the nation. Uh, you've got large uh, Palestinian populations um, uh, in the outskirts of uh, Detroit, where I've met them before, out in Dearborn. Uh, when they generally, you ask them, are you from Ramallah? They tend to be Christian. Uh, from other areas, they tend to be Muslim. Chicago have a large population in a place called Bridgeview. Uh, so... Not as dominant as some of the other Arab groups uh, who have settled in the United States. If you just look in our particular region, they've been living in what I call Little Ramallah, Patterson, New Jersey, for many, many years. A lot of Christian, uh, a lot of Christian Arabics there. A lot of Christian Palestinians there. All along Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, huge Syrian population predates World War One. And then as you work your way down Fifth Avenue in the Bay Ridge, there have been Palestinians living there three, four generations. So they're here. They're amongst us. And I know there's a tendency to think, well, because of their ethnic background, you know, they're going to lean in the direction uh, of Hamas or Islamic Jihad, Fatah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all the radical elements. That's not true. Uh, when we were attacked in 9-11 and they created that special unit, the counterterrorism unit, and they were located in uh, the Bush terminal, there were a 1,000 men and women in the NYPD 
who would go in the mosque on Friday, the day of prayer, as normal citizens, and just listen to the sermons of the imam to see if they were sort of hinting at encouragement of any terrorist acts, if uh, amongst the congregation, likewise, there were any elements who were trying to goad, especially the younger men on, uh, jump on the Paradise Express, zoom themselves up to Allah's side and have sex with 72 virgins. Uh, they were going into coffee shops and uh, going into areas where a lot of Arabic speakers were socializing. And in some case, uh, if they were for the Persian Gulf area, uh, or if they were from Pakistan and spoke Urdu. So you had Persians, uh, meaning Iranians, uh, you had Pakistanis, uh, and you had a lot of Arabic uh, cops. And my fear is that that counterterrorism unit is no longer active as they were before in the aftermath of 9-11, as they were uh, uh, in the last days of Rudy Giuliani's administration, and especially in the 12 years of Bloomberg and Kelly. Uh, and then I think they began to be disbanded ever so slowly under de Blasio. And now I think they've been uh, broken into uh, various parts of the police department where they no longer have that focus. Uh, that would not be a good thing for us. Absolutely not a good thing for us. Most Palestinians that I've met out there, most Arab speakers, most of those who originally uh, considered themselves Persians, a lot of Jews up in Great Neck, uh, and uh, clearly uh, a lot of Pakistanis are not sympathetic to the terrorists. Although when push comes to shove, you know, they're not necessarily all that thrilled uh, by aligning themselves with Jews either. So you, you you might be getting the wrong impression of that because they're not all that friendly towards Israel or friendly towards Jews. It's not like they're brothers in solidarity. We'll see if we can get the phone lines back up and active. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. All right, so we got the disquantificator back on track. We've got the oscillator that's oscillating. We've hooked up with our FM uh, sister station, affiliate WLIR, that hits uh, the east end of Long Island. I believe we may have soldered our phone lines together. I got the soldering, uh, soldering materials out there, our crack engineer, Dan. Uh, so we uh, should be back. Uh, in ter- typical turbojet fashion, in which we'll be operating on all cylinders till the break of dawn. So it may have been a little herky jerky this for this first hour. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Uh, the newscasters here locally uh, all trying desperately to make these demonstrations appear to be bigger than they really were. News lights to hype them, really do. Look, I've been in many, many demonstrations. I've seen a big turnout of people all through the years. And I will tell you that some are saying, oh, it's just like the summer of uh, George Floyd. Not a chance of even approaching it. Not a chance. You just look at the makeup of the demonstrators on both sides. They clearly are tribal. You don't see almost everybody else involved. Like I said, my observations of working in and out of the crowds, both those supporting Israel, those uh, supporting the Palestinians, uh, many of whom were supporting Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Fatah, those radical organizations, generally reflect those areas of the world. So very few blacks, very few Hispanics, very few white ethnics, almost no Asians. Now, you start looking at percentages like that, that's that's the mass majority of New Yorkers. During George Floyd, you saw a hell of a lot of people coming out of all different backgrounds, all different races. Uh, you're not seeing that in these demonstrations. And I tell you, because it is very tribal, I think for a lot of people who are not directly involved, they're not directly impacted, they look at it from afar... They don't necessarily feel threatened. They don't necessarily feel like it's our fight. They don't necessarily quite understand what's going over in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf because in many instances, Americans are very myopic. If they know anything, they tend to know about their own areas, their own communities, America, and know very, very little about what's happening geopolitically and around the world. And quite frankly, don't seem to express a um, an interest, a hunger to learn more. We don't focus on it in our schools. You don't really hear young people uh, talking about it, uh, Googling about it. It's almost as if, you know, that's your battle. That's your tribal battle. That's not my battle. And they're out of it. I, I even was on the number one train coming back from Riverdale last night, helping the people there organize against a illegal alien migrant center being put in their community in an old dormitory of Manhattan College. And I walked on the campus of Manhattan College, and there were some kids there, you know, pro, uh, I guess you can call them pro-Palestinian. They're very quiet. I stopped off on the number one train at 116th Street. They had Columbia University barricaded, wouldn't let anybody go in or out other than if you were a student. To me, it's more like a battle of fraternities and sororities, to be honest with you. And I see a lot of grandstanding on both sides now. A hell of a lot of grandstanding. Because this is what politicians on both sides love. Love to get involved in this kind of stuff. Love to give speeches. Love to pledge in solidarity. And I say to myself, okay. I've heard these speeches before. I've seen rallies like this before from both sides. Uh, actually seen them in uh, uh, Dearborn and in Detroit, which has a very large Arabic-speaking uh, population, Muslim population, Christian Arabic population. 
Palestinians there, all different types uh, from the Middle East and the Persian Gulf. And again, almost totally tribal. Don't see the Gentiles really getting involved with either side. Nope. It's almost as if it's not our club. <laughs> and, and nobody's inviting us in <laughs> either spot. It is amazing to see all of that taking place. It's a geopolitical issue. It affects us all. But it's almost as if the mass majority of Americans, if you ask them, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, we're sympathetic to Israel. But it's not like they uh, have all that great interest in in either side. It's certainly not uh, predominantly supporting Hamas or Islamic Jihad or Fatah or ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Certainly not. But it's almost like they... It's somewhat distant from it all. It's not that emotional connection as we saw during the summer of George Floyd 2020, the many demonstrations, the real anger, the violence associated with it. A lot of heated rhetoric, but not that much violence. Like I said, a few times I've actually seen people fighting. It's Jews who are supporting the state of Israel versus Jews uh, self-hating, who are uh, supporting uh, the Palestinians. Yeah. That, I guess the Jews there, they have to prove, hey, I'm with you guys. Hey, give me a kafir. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm not with them. I don't eat kosher. I eat halal. And I'm like looking at this like, really? So let's try our phones out here. Let's go to Brian and Valley Stream. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brian. Curtis. Yeah, I um, just really depressed about what's going on. I think it's a lot. I don't know about American people seem to be a little ignorant and they don't take part in any anything that's going on. I mean, but it's like uh, something big happening. But I'm wondering, terrestrial radio, they messing with the frequencies, and will we have terrestrial radio much longer? Yeah, you the see the future of it. I'm wondering, Brian. You see, that may well be what's happening. You know, I hadn't even contemplated that. I didn't want to get too conspiratorial, but no. You might, you might have something. Yeah, look at our first hour. It was like we were all over the map. We weren't able to connect anything. And this happened a lot. I, on the Mark Levin show, I noticed for the last couple of years, like there'll be an hour of his show uh, where there's like dead static. I know they're messing with the frequency on the, especially WABC. They have a target on WABC, it seems. Now, how do you think they go about doing that? Because this is this is quite interesting. We are the most powerful radio station once uh, dust sets in in the world. How do you think they go about interfering with our signal, Brian? I have no scientific explanation for it, but I'm, I mean, I, I don't know. It's a physical. It's it's not an internet thing. I don't. I just, I've seen so many times, I've seen these interference delays, especially yeah, but, on Mark Levin's show, too. Yeah, then, no, no, um, look, look, it, it, it's very conceivable. It makes sense because this is a station that people listen to all over the world now. They have access to it. So I guess if you wanted to try to mute the power of the station, you would do something in the air. You know, it might be the isotropics. Uh, it could be, you know, how the sun affects the signal by day and then how it's able to boom out at night or any number of things that could be transpiring. I'm going to, after the program, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have a little breakfast with our head engineer, Dan. We're going to try to sort that out because you're right. 
there may be an attempt to interfere with the projection of all the programs we have here at WABC, especially, as you said, when the sun goes down, probably starting at about 6 o'clock. Yeah, see, see, look at what's happening to you now. See, Brian? See what's happening to you now. It's as if what I said is becoming true. Wow. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Brian was very cogent. He was bringing to our attention what he feels are the delays that he has been hearing at times on the Mark Levin Show, 6 to 9. We just experienced that for a full hour. There may be something to that. Sure. Why wouldn't you want to go at the most powerful radio station in the nation by day and in the world when it's dark out, when the signal travels even further than it does in daylight hours? That makes a lot of sense. But the question is, who would be doing that? What forces would be doing that? Who, if anybody out there, would try to want to mute the 50,000 powerful watts of sound of WABC, the most powerful radio station in the nation by day, and again, the most powerful radio station at night globally. The only place that we've never been heard at is on the continent of Antarctica. It is a continent, unlike the North Pole, which is melting. Soon there won't be any ice there. I don't know where Santa Claus and uh, all the reindeer are going to go, and the elves. But people have reported hearing our signal clear from Kathmandu in Nepal. It's way up there in the Himalayan mountains. That's phenomenal. People have heard it. I remember receiving a call from Death Valley, which is on on the way. If you take the road from Los Angeles, you pass Bartow, uh, California. Oh, God. Scorpions and hell's angels everywhere. Dust and heat. And then Death Valley. Oh, my God. And you can catch the signal in Death Valley. When I was over in Israel, I was there after the Second Intifada. I was broadcasting uh, from Israel after they blew up the Sabaros, uh, the terrorists uh, in uh, downtown Jerusalem. And then they blew up the buses. And I was actually broadcasting uh, from uh, the buses just to show uh, that we had no fear. And the only ones over there at that time following me and traveling throughout uh, Israel, it's like traveling the length of New Jersey uh, from Camden up to uh, Hoboken. That's like going from a lot in the Red Sea and southern Israel all the way up to the Golan Heights. Same. It's just like traveling New Jersey. And uh, the number of times I'd be broadcasting from there back to uh, WABC, And the only ones I saw over there were the evangelicals. Evangelicals love Israel, love Israel. Oh, my God, more so than sometimes Jews do. You know, they believe in rapture. They believe at the end of the world. Uh, That's that's where the Mashiach is going to return, Jesus Christ. 
Although some of them actually believe if Jews don't actually convert at that moment, uh, it's not going to be a very good outcome for them. Well, that's the extremist evangelical, which really disappointed me extraordinarily. When I was there in Israel, second intifada, remember Yasser Arafat called the second intifada. None of the, almost no Jews came over to Israel. It was worse than it is now. Worse. Because it was rioting in the uh, West Bank. Uh, there were problems on the border with Syria in the Golan Heights with Lebanon, with Hezbollah, and uh, those uh, that were being uh, aided and abetted by the Ayatollahs in Tehran. Uh, you had the Lebanese elements. I, I mean, you just had a lot. And no Americans were going over there. The only ones I ever ran into over there then were pilgrimages of evangelicals, some Americans, some Nigerian, Nigerian Christians. Well, they're fanatical. They love Israel. I remember we were in uh, Tiberias, which is right where the Sea of Galilee is. Uh, I met the Nigerians there. They came in two buses. They were all wearing green. We walked into this basilica. Actually, it was a convent for nuns. No nuns uh, were alive any longer that were there, but it was uh, well done, well done sort of church, convent, that actually had been built by Benito Mussolini as a gift, as a gift before World War II, right by the Sea of Galilee. I'm telling you, uh, if you happen to be Jewish out there and you're going to rallies and it's uh, Jews uh, talking to Jews and Jews supporting Jews, why wouldn't you have on board the evangelicals? To me, it's sort of like, it's like when I talk to Republicans and I say, why wouldn't you appeal to the moderate Democrats? There are more moderate Democrats than there are Republicans. There are more evangelicals than there are Jews. Evangelicals love the state of Israel more than a hell of a lot of Jews do. A hell of a lot of Evangelicals of Israel, hell of a lot more than a lot of Reformed Jews do, I'll tell you that much. Or some of the Hasidim. There's some Hasidim out there who don't believe in the state of Israel. Who actually have met with the Ayatollahs, have met with the enemies of Israel. Yeah, they're out there at every support, the Israel Day Parade. They're all outside the uh, Plaza Hotel, screaming invectives. Small sect, but still, they're there. I, for the life of me, cannot understand that. Why wouldn't you want to have the holy roll of Christians with you who adore the state of Israel? Who, if they came out to any of these rallies, you wouldn't have enough room on any of the streets to contain them. And their, their reverence, uh, they can make a series of phone calls and they can turn out thousands of people in 24 hours. Truly devoted. I'm not a holy roller. But I've seen the Holy Rollers. I've talked before congregations of Holy Rollers all over this country, but especially in our tri-state area. Uh, when I went to that uh, unity rally for, uh, rally for Israel the other day in Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza, I've been there before when Jews fill up Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza. This is not unusual. They had no Republicans on the stage, none. Uh, could have been. Look, they weren't going to give me the microphone. I get it. But they could have had Congressman Lee Zeldin up there, 
who served in the U.S. military, a Zionist, pro-Israel, you know, show, hey, unity, unity. Look, there's a unity government in Israel now. And they hate each other because they're at war. They know they got to unify. And I looked at all the sponsoring organizations, UJA, JCRC, those are liberal democratic Jewish organizations. There are conservative Jewish organizations. I didn't see any of them on the banner. And I didn't see any I mean, a handful of Gentiles. Well, can you have imagined if there had been an appeal to the Gentiles, to the evangelicals? I certainly didn't see any religious figures on that stage. I didn't see anybody from the Catholic Church. I didn't see anybody from Protestant churches. I didn't see any imams. I didn't see any of them. So if you just want to be Jews talking to Jews, you know what Gentiles think? Eh, it's a bunch of Jews talking to Jews. I guess we're not part of that club. Just like uh, with the uh, demonstrations in favor of the Palestinians, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, the terrorists, Fatah, they're limited too. They're limited too. Thank God they are limited. Thank God they don't broaden their coalition. That would not be good. Uh, let's get back to uh, the phones here, see if uh, we have uh, resurrected and reconstituted our phone lines. This boy Brian in Valley Street made a lot of sense. He's actually heard uh, a delay on the Mark Levin show, and then he faded out on delay. I got to tell you, I've done a lot of radio for 35 years. This happens. Now, could it be, now again, could it be that we're getting ready for the Ring of Fire solar eclipse? It's coming in a few hours. A solar eclipse. I mean, that's big stuff. We're not talking partial eclipse. We're not talking blood moon. We're not talking, uh, you know, Nancy running out into Central Park uh, as the lone wolf and howling uh, right there on the rock uh, before you get into the rambles, as she's so apt to do. No, no, I thought she was even acting strangely. Very strange. I think that all of this is due to the ring of fire solar eclipse that is coming. Because the moon is going to interrupt the sun, casting a shadowy veil from Oregon to Brazil during this annual solar eclipse. And it's going to sweep over the United States just in a few hours. And you're going to have this moment when you see the place that you play in this universe. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon gets between the sun and earth because the moon's orbit is slightly ovular rather than a perfect circle. Sometimes this alignment happens when it's at its farthest point from Earth. The result is an annual solar eclipse or the ring of fire that you can catch in a few hours and that I've seen already in my wife preemptively. That's her nickname, Lone Wolf. All the coyotes came out. You know, the coyotes in Central Park now, the raccoons. And Nancy, what are you doing? You normally do that under the cover of darkness in the wee hours of the morning. I knew, I knew something was different about today. 
had nothing to do with the demonstrations for Israel, against Israel. The fact that everyone was uh, chicken of the sea and didn't come to work. Oh, oh, Hamas, it's called a world day of outrage. Oh, please. Boy, how weak were we, huh? And how many people actually use that as an excuse not to go to work? Let's be real. Oh, I got a fever in my foot. Oh, oh, Hamas, some guy in Qatar, you know, with one eye, with an eye patch on, you know, a hook for an arm, probably we gave him a prosthetic leg in Gitmo, decided he was going to call for world jihad. Oh, we can't go to work. Oh, oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Wusses. Meantime, I was uh, going up and down the hallways here and of other businesses in this building we operate out of. Just talking to build uh, to um, floor managers. Yeah, nobody's here today. Yeah, some people were here today. Uh, they took advantage of this, right? Because our elected officials talk too much. They, they talk fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. Oh, see, we took care of you. Like we're your daddy, we're your mommy, Hoko and Adams. Get out of here. We don't need you. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. I really fear Hamas. When's the last time Hamas struck in our area? Do you not realize that they're a domestic terrorist organization, meaning they're confined to uh, uh, portions of the West Bank where they're the minority, Fatah's the majority, and obviously they control Gaza. They don't exist anywhere else. (laughs) It's not like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, which is an international terrorist organization. Oh, but the politicians, they had a grandstand. Oh, they grandstanding. Yeah, we're going to protect you from the cradle to the grave. Meantime, they can't protect us in the streets from normal crime, in the subways, normal crime. I really have a lot of faith that they're going to protect us in a terrorist attack. Not. They can't even stop somebody shoplifting, you know, a six-pack of Bud Light because they figure, "Eh, nobody's buying Bud Light now, so let them just walk out with it, right? I mean, come on. They're going to protect us even though they can't even stop crime in the city now. Yeah, sure. I feel, oh, I feel so much better that our police commissioner, Eddie Caban, is in Qatar, right? We used to have a police commissioner who was called Out of Town Lee Brown. When Dinkins was mayor, he was out of town during the Crown Heights riots. He was out of town in the Washington Heights riots. Eddie Caban hasn't, hasn't even had a year under his belt yet, and he's already going to be labeled Out of Town Eddie Caban. Wait a second, isn't that where this uh, crazy guy who claims he's a spokesperson of Hamas declared a world day of outrage and jihad? Yeah, yeah, isn't that Qatar? Oh, that's right. It's about the size of Connecticut, the size of the island of Puerto Rico. Isn't that where they played World Cup? Yeah, that's right, where nations came from throughout the world uh, to kickball. Go, 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 that fake, phony, fraudulent football they spell with a U, soccer that I hate, I loathe, I despise. Oh, that's right, the Taliban, they have a consulate there. Islamic Jihad has a consulate. Oh, oh, that's right, Hamas has a consulate. Fatah has a consulate. Hezbollah has a consulate. And guess who pays for it? The Qatarians. And yet... Who was there blinking our Secretary of State, 
who was saying, restraint, Israel, you need to restrain yourself. Yeah, in guitar, when he was in Israel, hey, go get him. So typical, these fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi politicians, depending on what audience they are. And who's in guitar? Eddie Kaban, our police commissioner. What the hell is he doing in Qatar? Uh, Eddie, you think you can take a flight back here out of town, Eddie Kaban? Ay, 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 Eddie, uh, the terrorism isn't in Qatar. First of all, Eddie Kaban couldn't find Qatar on a map. And yet he's there for some Arabic security conference. Die. Junk it. Vacation at taxpayers' expense in the middle of an emergency. Oh, I feel so good about the leadership of this city, the leadership of this state, and the leadership of the police department. Oh, man. Feel good. Ten trillion cops out there doing triple overtime, right? They're all in uniform. And so, naturally, the rest of the way, we're going to have less cops because they will have already eaten up the overtime budget. Our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 eight. Our isotrope has completely. Wait a second! Oh, ooh! Wow! Look at this! It's going up and down. Wait! I hear! I hear! What I heard earlier today in the streets of Times Square as they marched to the Israeli consulate at Forty Second. And second, and screaming and yelling and waving Palestinian flags and the, the shmatas on their heads, the kafiyas. And I say, hey, wait, you're a Jew. Damn right I'm a Jew. A Jew for Hamas. Why don't you impale yourself with a menorah, huh? Why don't you get a menorah, huh? And impale yourself. You know... It's almost as if this doesn't involve all of us. It does. But when you look at these demonstrations, you actually look at them and say, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. We are so horrible for showing a paraglider. What about their jets? Israeli jets have killed thousands and thousands of thousands of Palestinians, but that's okay. Oh, so they should not use their jets, right? Maybe they should throw rocks and spears. If I got a jet, right, I'm going to use it against you. If I got a gun, I'm going to shoot you. 
Oh, that's right. Ina Vernikoff, the city councilwoman there in Brooklyn. Ooh, they clipped her with a nine millimeter, fully loaded. Oh, 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 oh. oh wait a second here. I think, uh, I think, ladies and gentlemen, we were a victim of a cyber attack. Yeah, yeah, Broadway Billy, I think so. I noticed that in the uh, interim, I was checking on the connectors and the capacitators. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, look, look at the connectors here. Look at the capacitators. They have the vintage caps, but apparently they melted down. Look, the materials degrade. How could they have degraded so quickly? Enough of this music, enough of this music. We're, we're doing a deep dive into the guts of this station here. Apparently, there has been some kind of a cyber attack on the equipment of the most powerful radio station in the nation by day and in the world by night. There's no doubt. And uh, I notice these materials are no longer working with our capacitators. They, they seem to have melted down. Now, look, I'm not a ratchet and... Uh, uh, popular mechanics guy. I wasn't reading that magazine growing up. I'm not going to tell you what magazines I was reading, but it certainly wasn't popular mechanics. I can tell you that. But I know a vacuum tube when I see it, and I see our transistors here have oscillated, and I see the microchips, you know, from an old analog radio, because obviously we're not analog anymore. So that tells you the specificity of what may have been a very, very sophisticated attack on our equipment. Uh, where's my music there, uh, Broadway Bill Lee? Uh, I need my music, my popular mechanics music that you had there. No, I don't want to hear Elton John doing EDM. I normally love hearing electronic dance music. Yes, yes. What do we got? Five hours? Oh, by the way, Israel, you got seven days to finish the job before the whole world calls you baby killers yourself and uh, just uh, murderous thugs. You know, we're going to hear that in seven days. The pendulum will have turned. But our crack engineer, Dan, the man, is now headed towards our Tower of Power in Lodi, New Jersey. He will be scaling the tower because the oscillators apparently have been hit by some kind of a light that has been aimed at the transistors and microchips that are right at the top of the tower. That's that's what boosts our signal into, into its global capacity. So whether you have the old-fashioned terrestrial radio, which I have, You can hear it on that, but you can also hear it through so many other mediums. When it's not right, when the vacuum tubes are not sort of synchronized with the transistors, the microchips, the capacitators, the connectors, depending on what fillings you have in your teeth, you might be hearing WABC through your fillings. I kid you not. 
There was a time when the great undercover police officer, Serpico, who testified during the Knapp Commission hearings when John Lindsay was mayor about police corruption. Remember, he was a, a bohemian type of police officer, undercover, really didn't want to uh, fraternize uh, with the cops he was working with. They turned on him. He appeared at a city council hearing many, many years later, many, many years later, in which he actually said that he would listen to the radio through the fillings in his teeth. But because he was serpical, everybody was extraordinarily uh, patient. When normally you would say, this guy's a crackpot, he's a loon, he's out of his mind. Even though I know some of you out there now are hearing this radio signal through the fillings in your teeth. I, I know. I talk to many of you. You hear noises, you hear high-pitched sounds out of your terrestrial radio, and I've suggested, well, you may want to get a new radio, you may want to check the vintage caps because they don't hold up, the materials degrade, and they no longer work with your capacitators. Now, I know, look, I'm sounding like a wonk here, but I really believe that we were victims of a cyber attack. It has all the fingerprints. We just don't know who. Who would have done this dastardly deed? As soon as I hear from Dan, I know he will be climbing that tower. He used to hang out at Bada Bing Satin Dolls, which was the uh, strip club right below the tower that was featured in uh, Goodfellas. Uh, I believe it's closed, so... Uh, he should be getting back to us uh, momentarily at the top of the hour. But, Dan, I know you're listening on your way out there. It's on the New Jersey Turnpike as we speak. Guy, you got to do something because these uh, transistors and microchips, uh, you know, I realize it's from our old analog days, but they're oscillating at a degree I've never seen before in 35 years of doing talk radio. Never. Never. Broadway Billy, I know you on loan from WCBS where you're with Joe Carsey during the week. You're a veteran. You've even had more years in radio than I have. Uh, you've never seen anything like this, have you? Wow. Wow. This is, uh, this is a first, ladies and gentlemen. I'll, I'll try to guide us through this. We've got the best engineer in the world, Dan, and we've got others, uh, apparently who are giving him some assistance now as to uh, what this may be. I think it's the capacitators and the connectors, but I could be proven wrong. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Kenny, who claims that he's calling from China. Kenny, are you there, Kenny? Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y, Kenny, 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 Kenny. Oh, oh, we've never had a call before from Red China. Could it be? Could it be a cyber attack by the Red Chinese? I have not at all been friendly with them. I've actually called out who some of their agents are who operate amongst us especially in the New York City area and Flushing and in 
Chinatown and Sunset Park and the Woodside, Queens. Hmm. It's never happened before. Never, ever happened before. While the whole world is distracted watching the Middle East and the Persian Gulf, it could be the Red China is deciding to settle all scores with me here at WABC. I'm the only one left in broadcasting who refers to them as Red China, right? People say mainland China to differentiate itself from uh, Hong Kong or Macau that used to be a Portuguese colony or, of course, Taiwan. Before that was A.K.A. Formosa. So it could be that the Red Chinese took took advantage of this situation and decided to knock me off the air with a cyber attack. It would make sense that they're trying to settle all scores. And also, I hate Stefan Marbury, who grew up in the uh, projects in Coney Island, the Cary Gardens projects. Became a great basketball player at Lincoln High School. Went on to Georgia Tech. I think he did one year and then uh, played for the Knicks. Justin never lived up to his uh, hype in the NBA. And then went to Red China. And he's considered a star there. They even built a statue to him outside one one of the arenas in Beijing. That used to be Peking. Why did we change the name to Beijing? It used to be Peking when we were growing up. We called it Red China. Then all of a sudden, mainland China. I refuse to conform. Maybe that's why we're having problems. We're trying to settle all scores while the whole world is watching the Middle East, the Persian Gulf, Israel, the Gaza, and of course, the Golan Heights and the border between Israel and Lebanon. Let's go to uh, Kevin, uh, who's calling from uh, Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kevin. Hey, Curtis, I listen to you all the time. And and I just want to say, like, how are these – I work in the restaurant industry, and I get Mexicans, uh, Guatemalans, and Dominicans, and they really don't like each other. How are all these illegal aliens – living together and there doesn't seem to be any fights amongst them and i really believe that we're going to have and and i don't think it's going to be under the biden administration but i think as soon as the republican gets in office uh we're going to have mass chaos well, let me let me that? let me bifurcate that, Kevin. You're speaking of the restaurant industry. You're correct. There are a lot of El Salvadorians, Guatemalans, Mexicans. Uh, at first, they worked in the kitchens, out of sight, out of mind. Now, uh, they work in most of the positions in restaurants. They're servers, they're cooks, some of the chefs, some manage the restaurants. You know, they uh, they dominate whole sectors of the restaurant industry. You are correct. Uh, they don't like one another. But then again, I grew up in an era where the Irish didn't like the Italians and the Jews. Italians liked Jews, Jews liked Italians, and they both liked each other because they both hated the Irish and the Irish hated both of them. So, look, it is common amongst people. We Too often we homogenize people. We think they're all the same. They're not. 
in any way, shape, or form. So what you just, like, for instance, the president of Guatemala has warned us. He has said, you better stop the illegal aliens coming across your border because amongst them are terrorists. And this is the president of Guatemala, right? You would think, okay, he knows because in order to get to the United States, they're all passing through Guatemala into Mexico, and then they're either coming across the border with Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, or California. But we look at him and we say, hey, uh, he's, uh, you know, president of a third world country. I've spent time in Guatemala, Guatemala City. I know it well. So we have no respect uh, for those that we feel we're superior to. And yet he has more common sense. He's saying you're letting all these illegal aliens in amongst them are going to be terrorists. He goes, I see them streaming through my country. How could you not see the potential that some of them may be terrorists? And quite frankly, when they're on those marches, uh, sometimes hundreds together on that uh, El Vista, the train that goes from southern uh, Mexico, the border with Guatemala, all the way to the north to the border with uh, Texas. Uh, and then they cross over at that point as they uh, dislodge themselves from the train. And they don't like one another. And everybody doesn't like the Venezuelans. I can tell you that much. The Hispanics in our area hate loathe, despise the Venezuelans, so, even though they talk so the same how, language. So how come we're not seeing that yet? Oh, you are. Oh, there have been fights. Oh, there have been fights. And there have been arrests. But because they're asylum seekers, you know what happens? They get turned loose. They get turned loose. Look, the Roosevelt Hotel, they've made 62 arrests in the Roosevelt Hotel since uh, Eric Adams turned that into a migrant emergency resource center. 62, most of them are Venezuelan uh, men beating up Venezuelan women that are either married to them, living with them, traveling with them, or Venezuelan men starting fights with other men from other countries who are also being processed there. Yeah, how are we going to stop that? Well, uh, unfortunately, the damage Kenny has been done. And we have not vetted them. We don't know who they are. Uh, the politicians have lied to us. Oh, we, we vetted them at the border. Bull feathers. We vetted them when they come into the Roosevelt Hotel for, uh, for, uh, outsourcing. Bull feathers. Most of them don't have papers. Anybody can declare themselves to be a Venezuelan now because if you're a Hispanic speaker, you say I'm a Venezuelan, you get fast tracked to work. Is selling all kinds of fake Venezuelan papers in Corona, in Elmhurst, in Jackson Heights, under the number seven train. Uh, I call it the John Rocker Express from 74th and Roosevelt. If you were to walk directly underneath the L, the seven train, and you pass, uh, you pass, uh, Junction Boulevard, 103rd, 108th, 111th on your way to City Field across the Grand Central Parkway. They're selling uh, illegal papers like hotcakes in the open. Nobody does anything. Not the feds, not the state, not the city. Now the top, uh, fake paper, uh, requested is to declare yourself to be a Venezuelan because you get a fast track to get a job. Whereas if you're an El Salvadorian, Guatemalan, you came in illegally, you get Ugats, you get Bubkis. You gotta wait at the back of the line. They have prioritized Venezuelans who apparently make up about 40% of the illegal aliens who have come into our city. 40%.
Uh, many of them claiming to be Venezuelan because they know they will get prioritized and they have no paperwork to prove it. All they do is they speak Spanish and whatever uh, rent-a-record uh, rent is uh, uh, processing them. Say, oh, you're from Venezuela. Write it down on the piece of paper, right? Of course you're going to write Venezuelan. You get everything if you're Venezuelan. If you're from those other Hispanic-speaking countries, you get put to the back of the line. Just makes sense. And our politicians are responsible for this. Oh, sanctuary city, sanctuary state. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, they created this mess, and they don't know how to get themselves out of it, so naturally they point fingers at one another. one 800 It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. This is America. Don't get nervous. No, they're not taking over yet, the Venezuelans. I know they're on their motorbikes, their Vespas, they're everywhere. No license, no registration. Giving us the finger, screaming, Hugo Chavez, Maduro. Hey, go back to your country unless you can play baseball. We could use you for the Mets or the Yankees. How do we know that it isn't a consortium of these countries that hate us? We know the Iranians are working with the Venezuelans, with the Russians. They despise us. They loathe us. They hate us. It puts them in the Western Hemisphere. How do we know, Broadway Bill Lee, that they didn't knock out our amplifier? And then we got it on that feedback network. Enough of this uh, Bad Bunny. I don't want to hear Bad Bunny no more. I want to hear my popular mechanics music because I'm really getting into my head here. I'm looking at the amplifier here and the feedback network as Dan races to our Tower of Power in Lodi. Look, I know this is uh, like wonk talk, but the oscillator is an essential component. Am I right? Right, Broadway Billy. When the oscillator is not oscillating, we're off the air. That's what happened originally. Because you have your tank circuit, your amplifier, your feedback circuit. And if they are not in sync, it's going to draw a block to the signals that you're receiving, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. And it's a structure to all of this. You get positive feedback or you get negative feedback. And it's all based on the input signal. And they must conflate with one another. If they do, then it will generate oscillating signals into a square wave as opposed to a circular wave or triangular wave that reaches all of you. Now, I know this is this is over your head, but, I mean, we're being very transparent here. We had a serious problem in the first hour. I believe... I don't have conclusive proof, but we were the object of a cyber attack. There's no doubt. Look, we're still getting feedback on our oscillator. And if the components of an oscillator are not all conflated together and synchronistic, that's when you have a problem. And look, 
I got to be honest with you. I think we're missing a resonator. The oscillator we have, but I, I think Dan forgot to check the resonator. That's an active device. That's an active device that's like checks and balances to this signal. This signal is so strong, 50,000 powerful watts that you're receiving on your terrestrial radio. You don't understand. If it's cranked up too high, it will melt down those receivers that are embedded into your terrestrial radio. Your connectors will not be able to hold up. Your capacitators will not be able to hold up. All of a sudden, they'll melt. And your vintage cap won't hold up either. Look, these materials degrade. And uh, if they don't work with your capacitors in your terrestrial radios, you won't hear us. So we're really in an emergency situation. Is Dan the man, our top engineer, is desperately trying to get to our tower of power in Lodi, scale it to the very top, and then begin to do the adjustments on the vacuum tubes, the transistors, and the microchips. We can assure you that we will get down to this. John Katsimatidis, our owner and operator, a mogul, a billionaire, has many, many businesses. It's almost like he's Procter & Gamble. If you've ever gone to Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, they have their own police. You know, they they research coupon theft. Uh, They research all kinds of problems that deal with the multitude of products that they put out in production, mostly foodstuffs and other products. They have their own police department. John likewise has it. Former FBI director here, George, a number of former uh, members of the NYPD special units. And I have a feeling uh, when we reach dawn, they will all be summoned together. Try to figure out what happened in that one hour from 12 to 1 that caused the greatest radio station in the nation and at night the greatest radio station in the world to go fritzy-ditzy. All you heard were promos. All you heard were advertisements. And I have my own theory about this. I think it's the Red Chinese. Because I am the only one. I'm the last man, woman standing, last transgender standing who refers to mainland China as Red China. It was always red to me. It's still red. From the days of Mao Zedong, I don't just forgive and forget and all of a sudden wipe it away because, oh, they're part capitalism, they're part communism. No, to me, they're the Red Chinese. And I don't care what you're trying to do to me from Venezuela in conjunction with the uh, Soviet Union, because that's really what Putin was, a KGB agent of the old Soviet Union. I withstood your cyber attack in that first hour. We took a licking, but we've come back ticking. And now our oscillator is fully oscillated, and we're ready to do it until the break of dawn. So don't go anywhere! 
Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. So let's look at our calendar here. We have um, our police commissioner, out-of-town Eddie Caban. That's his new nickname. It's in Qatar. Well, supposedly we have an emergency here. We don't. But then a lot of people took advantage of that and claimed, I can't come into work. I want a three-day weekend. But make sure you pay me. Because, you know, I'm traumatized. I'm hiding under my Castro convertible. Oh, it's World Jihad Day. Get out of here. So that's uh, number one, out of town, Eddie Caban. And then doing reverse osmosis is the Schmuck, the Putz, the Schmendrick, the Pischer, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. He's taking a whole group of big machas, Jewish machas, and they're going to Israel. Wait a second. Where's Haki? Speaker of the uh, House, a man who couldn't remember how when he went to Bingington, uh, upstate to the SUNY College, he wrote an editorial uh, in the school newspaper uh, praising Scooey Louis Farrakhan and, of course, his uncle, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, who was head of black studies at the City University of New York. The most virulent anti-Semite we've ever had in New York City. That's saying a lot. Who took him to Egypt on three pilgrimages where he disparaged Jews every moment he could to little Hakeem Jeffries. But Hakeem doesn't seem to remember that. That he was praising Scooey Louis Farrakhan and uh, wrote another editorial in the Bingington University uh, newspaper praising his uncle, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. He doesn't seem to remember. He goes, I I, I can't recall that. But hey, I can give you lines of a Biggie Smalls rap song. Now, Schumer's going to Israel. I don't know why. What, do we got to feed him, clothe him while he's there, taking up precious resources that the Israelis need who are at war, along with all the other big macha Democratic Jews? But how come Hakeem Jeffries is not going along? Well, 
Maybe he should have to give an interview about his real feelings about the state of Israel. And uh, whose side is he on here? Hakeem, I know where you live in Brooklyn. Uh, You live in a condo that's been subsidized. (laughs) You pay (laughs) like $236 a month. (laughs) What a ripoff. Unbelievable in Brooklyn Heights. How come some intrepid report? I'm going to have to get on Gnome Laden, our news director, and James Flippin, and ask them if they'll interview Hakeem Jeffries and ask him, uh, does he pledge support to the state of Israel, or uh, would he be out there in the streets with the Palestinians with the shmatas on their head? By the way, you know why they're covering their face with the kafiyah and the shmatas? Because we have photo recognition technology uh, that could match their picture to a file system that we've paid millions of dollars for, for the NYPD to have access to that great technology. Uh, and this is a time you'd want to use it. You'd want to take a photograph of everybody in those demonstrations. Let me tell you that. Could be uh, potentially terrorists uh, in that group. Why wouldn't you want to have a little photo recognition technology being used? Hey, look, Broadway Bill Lee. The mayor had no problem having drones follow me at my demonstrations against the migrant centers, clicking away pictures of uh, great Americans who were exercising their First Amendment right of free speech by saying no illegal aliens in our neighborhood, and they had their pictures taken. Photo recognition technology, right? You think they had the drones out there? That's the other question we should ask. Noam Layden, our news director, i got to write up a script for them because, you know, for them to connect the dots in it, were you using drones to monitor these demonstrations? The answer is no. I didn't see any drones high in the sky. Why were you using drones to follow Curtis Lee around? What do you need a drone for? He's got a red beret on his head. You can spot him a mile away. Uh, So the big mach... Uh, Schumer is on his way to Israel with other big mockers. No, uh, no Dr. Leonard Jeffries' uh, nephew, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, attending. Uh, we need to find out what his opinion is on all of this. I have a feeling he's going to take the Fifth Amendment. No comment. Now, I'm thinking back. What is it that may have also caused the problems? What might have caused the problems? Well, I'll tell you what. We just finished Friday the 13th. There was very few folks here at the station who mentioned that. Sid Rosenberg did this morning. Briefly, I did, obviously, in my rip and read that you can listen to every Monday through Friday from 12 to 1. And uh, Sid mentioned it. I'm on with Sid every uh, Monday through Friday at 7.05. And I'm always breaking news. Uh, I consider that the most listened-to time slot in all of talk radio. Having done morning talk radio myself for many years, of the 35 years that I've been in this business of ours, that 7 o'clock hour, 7 to 8, boy, that is prime time. Five minutes, ten minutes, speaking there, you're heard by more people than you would be heard uh, in a month of Sundays in almost any other time slot. So when uh, Sid mentioned it was Friday the 13th, I said to myself, hmm, clearly 
the number 13th is considered a unlucky day as part of Western superstition, not Eastern superstition. If you go East, like, for instance, uh, Catholics will think that 13 is an unlucky number. You go to the Eastern Orthodox, no, it doesn't exist in the East. It does in the West. And it occurs when the 13th day of the month in the Gregorian calendar falls on a Friday. And that's why we have the Gregorian chant here. It happens at least once every year, but can occur up to three times in the same year. For example, in the year 2015, it had a Friday the 13th in February, March, and November. That will also happen in the year 2026. 2017 through 2020 had two Friday the 13th. 2016, 2021, and 2022 had just one Friday the 13th, as will 2025. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, there is a mystique of what happens on Friday the 13th. I have always wanted to be associated with the number 13. When I played for Little League Baseball team in Canarsie called the Adam Blowers. Oh, was that embarrassing. Oh, my God. Trade me to Harry Shue, uh, Bella Fury, uh, you know, hardware. Lisa Terrace, yeah, you know, the catering hall, they sponsored the team. What the hell am I? Number 13 playing third base on the Adam Blowers. And boy, the jokes, right? I'm only in Little League. But I chose the number 13. Nobody wanted 13. Nobody. Then in high school, uh, when I played football and I played baseball, I wore the number 13. Nobody wanted to wear 13. Nobody. Nobody. That's unlucky. Totally unlucky. I never perceived of it as being unlucky. It was Friday the 13th of 1979 when I announced that we would be patrolling the subways of the Bronx as the Magnificent 13. It was just 13 of us. And I said, soon there will be 13,000 of us. Now, I got a bit to go. We're in 13 countries now, 130 cities. But we haven't reached 13,000 members, only 5,000. So I consider 13 to be an extraordinarily lucky number. Most people do not. Most people consider it to be extraordinarily negative. Gods of Ahala. When I was staring up at that dam in Westchester and you look up, it's ominous. You'd say, God, if it, it sprung a leak... The whole town of Valhalla in Westchester would be underwater because that is the reservoir. And the number 13 is a Norse myth about 12 gods having a dinner party in Valhalla. Oh, yeah. I didn't see any Norsemen there because if I had, you would have said he must have been drinking too much Jameson at that event. Nope. But I will tell you, that number 13 in Norse mythology is considered unlucky. I remember my father, Chester, merchant seaman, 54 years, would take me when he was home on leave 
to Bay Ridge, where all the squareheads, the Norwegians lived, who that he said were the greatest seamen ever. He said, look, some of the best seamen I've ever sailed with were Norwegian squareheads. And they really believed that Leif Erikson and Eric the Red discovered the new world. Yep. They have Leif Erikson Day. Oh, yeah, they got the Norwegian flags and... You know, why do you think they settled in uh, Bay Ridge and Sunset Park? Because they were right by the uh, shorefront where the boats were. And I said, but, Dad, isn't it Christopher Columbus? He said, look, don't start trouble. Patronize them. Say, yeah, it's Leif Erikson, Eric the Red. And I remember reading about that. Leif Erikson, Eric the Red, sailed first to Greenland and then to... The maritime provinces in Canada, Halifax, Prince Edward Island and all that. Dad, I don't believe that. Just patronize them. They're my friends. And so I did. To the uh, Irish uh, nuns who were teaching me at St. Matthew's, the Irish uh, nuns, the, oh, God, the Josephite nuns, they brainwashed me into thinking that St. Brendan the Navigator discovered the new world. I said, it's Columbus. You, you write that down on the test paper. I'm going to mark you wrong. But this superstition of 13 relates to the story of Jesus Christ and the Last Supper. Forget the Norsemen. Many people would say, heathens, Vikings. No, 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 no. The Last Supper and the Crucifixion, in which there were 13 individuals present. Remember? And who was Utreditor? Judas, remember? How many pieces of silver? It wasn't 13. I think it was 30. 30 pieces of silver at Utreditor. So look, there is lots of evidence that the number 13 is extraordinarily unlucky. But there's nothing with specificity in history that says that it's unlucky. It's always hinted, hinted. You know, the French, who decided that they would not allow for demonstrations in support of Hamas, and as a result, they had riots. I I don't understand that. (laughs) If you've ever been to Paris or Marseille or Nice, as I've been, My God, pretty soon there'll be more Arabs than uh, born and raised Frenchmen. But anyway, it's their country. They make the rules there. But I will tell you, when I was in uh, Paris trying to form a Guardian Angels chapter, Broadway Bill Lee, on Chagardien, they love to talk about it. The French have 10-course meals, smoking cigarettes, drinking wine. On Chagardien, magnifique. Say, you're all talk. Let's do it. But they said... Friday the 13th in our country is associated with misfortune. I said, what are you talking about? Anything with misfortune in France, in Paris, is associated with the number 13. Uh, we went nowhere in France other than for people going, Oh, Ange Gardier! Ange Gardier! Magnifique! Magnifique! 13. Oh, God. It was like the crucifix being shown to Dracula. And I must tell you, the last thing I want to speak about, the number 13, 
Oh God, I hope, I hope this is not replicated. The Wall Street panic on Friday the 13th in 1907. The Wall Street panic. Friday the 13th. No, no, people weren't jumping out of their windows. No, 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 no. But there was a panic. I stand up to all of that's probably the other reason that I was the victim of a cyber attack in that first hour, 12 to 1. Because I don't fear the number 13. It's part of the Gregorian calendar. And by the way, who follows the Gregorian calendar? When the chasm, the schism took place between East and West. And those in the West followed the Vatican and considered the Pope to be infallible. Bullfeathers! And then those in the East, they followed the Eastern Orthodox... And they didn't have statues. What did they have? Oh, my God. They had, like, schmatas with pictures on it. I'm like, what is this? So I have decided that I will not side with the West or the East on this. I wear the number 13 proudly. And when I went down into Mexico to organize Guardian Angels in Guadalajara... And in Mexico City, when I talked about 13, immediately without even understanding English, they said, oh, 13, the sign of death. Because there in Mexico, they worship a day of death. 13, oh, ominous. 13 associated with gangs. What I've done, Broadway Billy, is I have resurrected, resuscitated the number 13, And I have given it new meaning, positivity. People don't like that. They get into an elevator in their place of business or where they work, and there's no 13th floor. How do you go from the 12th floor to the 14th floor? There's a 13th floor there. In our building, there's a 13th floor. It says 15, right, as the top floor. There's no 15th floor. Who the hell constructed that? Normally, they don't have a 13th floor, right? Because it's considered unlucky. You go from the 12th floor to the 14th floor. Here in our building, you have a 13th floor or 14th floor. Then it says 15th top floor, penthouse, whatever you want to call it. And there's no 15th floor. Next stop, heaven. So I guess if you hit the 15th floor, you know it's over. But at least you're in good hands as opposed to going straight down to the basement and into hell without an asbestos suit where it's very hot, where global warming and climate change has taken over. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, I have struck you with a mistletoe-tipped arrow and taught you about 13. I defend 13. I don't fear 13. But for many of you also, you had a double reason not to come into work today, right, Broadway Billy? How many of those slackers and deadbeats who said, oh, it's Friday the 13th, I can't go to work. And by the way, Hamas has declared a world jihad. And employers actually bought that crap. 
especially those who work in uh, civil service, right? You know, they're on the uh, public payroll. Oh, oh, it's Friday the 13th. You know, it's a day of jihad. I got a fever in my foot. I can't go to work. It's a double disgrazia, a double shanda. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Gregorian calendar, no other calendar. I don't care if you have an old calendar that you got in your Playboy magazine, in your Penthouse magazine. I don't care if it was the annual calendar that you got in your Sears Roebuck catalog. The only calendar that counts there should have been a 13th month if I had it my way. Why do we only have 12 months? Why couldn't we have had a 13th month and tempt fate? Once you fear the number 13, you will fear everything in life. You will fear Hamas. You will fear Islamic Jihad. You will fear Fatah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. You will fear your own shadow. I think I'm going to make it my purpose in life, the few years that I have left on this plane, to create a 13th month just to stick it to everybody out there, right? Look, 13 at the Last Supper, right? Yes, thank you. 13 Norsemen, right, which preceded Jesus Christ. This was B.C. 13 Valhalla. The Norseman brave. Jesus was brave. He dealt with 13. The rest of you, you're afraid of your own shadow. You're afraid of a day of jihad. You're hiding under your Castro convertible. And worse yet, you say, oh, it's Friday the 13th. It'll be bad luck for me. I'm ashamed of all of you. Gold bricks, deadbeats. Any excuse to take a day off. And here are all these employers just sending out emails. Take the day off. Take here. We're going to pay you. Uh, how are you going to pay them? Hey, we give them money to stay home. It's Friday the 13th. What are they going to watch? A movie Friday the 13th? Oh, oh it's World Jihad Day, right? Yeah, sure. Oh, we're going to give you the day off. Now, next... Next week, some crazy imam in some other neck of the world in a cave in Yemen is going to declare World Jihad Day. And what are you going to do? Tell everybody not to come to work? Fear not. Where are the men out there? And then stand on the sidelines and to see people with shmatas on their faces, kafirs. Oh wait, I hear my I hear my voice. I, oh that's right. And when I speak at rallies, I'm always the thirteenth to speak. Did you know that? Did you know that Broadway Billy? I said how many speakers oh when the politicians are there it's like a hundred. You know, they're rally killers. I say I want to be the thirteenth speaker. The thirteenth speaker. And when you cut the cake you know how you cut it? There should be 13 slices. Everything in our world should be 13 so that it it strengthens you to the point where you, you'll fear not. 
America has become a country of wusses. Let's be honest, right? Today was a perfect example Friday. Grossy hot day. By some screwball in Qatar with one eye, one prosthetic leg, right, that we gave him in Gitmo, a hook for an arm, and he's declaring World Jihad Day, and nobody knew him before that. Nobody. Ooh. Imam Muckety Muck declared World Jihad. Oh, God, I guess that's it. The world is over. The fear not. Chuck Schumer is on his way to Israel with a bunch of, of machas. And Eddie Caban is in Qatar. A new police commissioner, out of town, Eddie Caban. And uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, says, hey, no problem. You know, we just reallocated the crack, uh, the crack uh, team of police officers that were put together in the aftermath of 9-11, the counterterrorism NYPD squad. We just reallocated them to different divisions in the police department. We don't use the Hercules unit with the long guns, the helmets, the bulletproof vests, and put them in front of the Empire State Building and Grand Central. What? Are you crazy? You telling them we're not doing it? Padre Fili Spiritu Santo. It's 13. To the day I die. Thirteen to the day I die. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Outside of Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn, across from the Brooklyn Library, which I had been to many times, 
they had a uh, group, a rally, Jews for Palestinians, Jews for Hamas. Now, I realize there aren't that many Jews in the world. In fact, it's a very, very, very small percentage of Jews compared to the 8 billion people who occupy this planet. But I find it very difficult to understand how Jews, which have been under siege for centuries, would actually side with their oppressors, people who have vowed to kill them. As they have said in their chants over and over again, from the river to the sea, let's make sure that Palestinian Palestinians are free from the river to the sea. Now, I'm looking at it geographically, but from the river to the sea, from the Jordan River to the sea, doesn't leave any room for Israel, nor the Jews. So why the hell would Jews be hosting a rally at Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn opposite the Brooklyn Library praising Hamas praising the very people who have vowed to destroy the state of Israel and kill all the Jews giving new meaning to uh, the definition of a self-hating Jew wow anyway our numbers maybe somebody out there can explain that out of all the demonstrations taking place, that was the one that perplexed me the most. Proud of the fact that they're standing there with their potential executioners, Hamas. Do you think if all of a sudden uh, they were dropped down in either Israel or the Gaza and they pledged support to Hamas, do you think that the Hamas commandos uh, would spare them and say, oh, well, that's great. You're a Jew and you support us. No. <laughs> He'd be dead. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And, of course, they had all the Shabbat services. 10,000 cops outside of every shul and synagogue. Everybody worried. Oh, global day of rage, world shihad. Overdone. Overdone. We showed fear. We showed fear. We did not flex. God, if if you happen to be uh, a terrorist and you saw what one crazy guy in Qatar could say who identified himself as a spokesperson for Hamas and put the entire world, but particularly New York, gripped in fear, fear, fright, hysteria, and hype in the global day of rage, world jihad. It was shameful. What, what, what ever happened to the Jews? Every Jew at 22. The days of the JDL, Jewish Defense League. Jews were tough here. They're tough in Israel. We know that. But here it's like, oh, oh, oh. oh, we need security. We need protection. Hey, you got plenty of men and plenty of women who are more than capable of defending Jews. More than capable. You do it every day at your synagogues and shuls. You do it every day within the course of your life. Stop showing weakness. I know everybody loves a victim. They loved us after 9-11, the attack of 9-11. Oh, the whole world commiserated with America. 
They came over here. They expressed their sympathy and empathy for us because of the attack of Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, and his jihadists. I hated that feeling. I hated that feeling. You want to be strong, not weak. And Israel, after this attack, that they were just unprepared to deal with. Where was Mossad? Where was Shin Bet? Where are the satellites? Where was the, the National Security Agency, the CIA, asleep at the wheel? And they sort of liked that feeling at first. The whole world is like sympathetic and empathetic to the slaughter of Jews. But now slowly the pendulum is turning. You got seven days to go in and wipe out Hamas. That's all the world is going to let you have time before proportionality will kick in. And they're going to claim that the victims are now the oppressors. Isn't that, isn't that the nature of history? Uh, Bibi declares war on Hamas. Hamas, obviously, by invading Israel, that's an act of war. But there has to be proportionality. Where is that written in any rule book? Why does it only apply to the Jews in Israel? Oh, there's got to be proportionality. Is there proportionality in the Ukraine and Russia? Do they have quotas? Both sides? Does Putin have a quota? Does uh, Zelensky have a quota? No, they're at war. They're going to try to kill as many of the other side as possible. And in some instances, as we have seen tragically, citizens... The elderly, children, women, they get killed in war. Now, do we want that to happen? Absolutely not. But seven days, and I already hear, I already hear their proportionality. Oh, wait, you know, it's like Blinken. He went to Israel. He's all supportive of Israel. And then once he gets to Qatar, which you wonder whose side Qatar is on, whichever side pays them. Then all of a sudden, he's telling the Qatarians, do everything possible to avoid harming civilians. And uh, tells Israel, on the down low, you got to slow down the invasion of Gaza. Ay, 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 ay. Let's try out our phones here, which have been a bit on the fritz. Let's try Junior in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Junior. Do you mean Jimmy Curtis? Jimmy, that's right. Jimmy, yes, Jimmy. Hey, how are things going out there, St. John's Villa, Midland Beach? How are things going, Jimmy? You're a soldier out there. You got no idea what's been going on. Me and my friend Kathy, we've been circulating all the areas, and we still got problems. We still have resistance. We still have fighting and arguing and screaming. But you know what? I'm not afraid of nothing or nobody because you inspired me from the first rally I ever went with with you. When you speak, I stand right in front of you, and I listen to your mouth and your words, and you're so smart, and you know exactly what to say. But let me tell you something. I hold you in a high regard, and anyone says anything against you, I'm right there to defend you. And I'm healing from neck surgery, but as soon as I'm healed again, we're going to be out there again. And as far as this Friday the 13th, there was this people that got killed in Israel. God rest all their souls. There's one person that called your show tonight, and he said, a job well done. Did he see the little babies that being decapitated with a shovel and innocent people being slaughtered and being raped? Did he see that? 
the dirty son of a gun, he's graziato, che sei, he's the disonorato. America's going down the tubes. We're hanging in the balance like a loose tooth, Curtis. And believe you me, I don't blow smoke up nobody. But I tell you, anything you do, I'm always there. And I'm, 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 I'll do anything you want. I'll defend you. I'll protect you even by that other moron. I was going to kill somebody when the Antifa tried to come near you. And you pushed me back. But nobody's going to defeat this country. That's right. I got. I got to let everybody know when Antifa charged us at our demonstration outside of Gracie Mansion, because we were there to say, uh, Mayor Adams, you said you would put some illegal aliens in uh, Gracie Mansion, and then you reneged. Antifa attacked us, and I must say that Jimmy and the Staten Island contingent. Uh, they took the first blow, and Antifa got hit so hard, their mother felt the vibrations, and they haven't been back since. Right. Curtis, I just want to say I love you. But wait, wait, Jimmy. Well, you know, I don't go that way, you know, Jimmy. You know, I really no, you don't got to go that way. I love you like a brother. Oh, I know okay, you all okay. my life. Okay, no, that's all better. All my life, you and your beautiful wife, Nancy, beautiful. Yes, and uh, I might add, uh, when you were standing there, right by the podium, when I gave that first speech outside of St. Johnsville Academy, your mouth was open, I saw a mosquito go right in. Right in there, Jimmy. That was, you know, you know that was a drone. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, Jimmy, tell them how Adam sicks the drones on us every time I come to speak. Every time. And the last one at the... Uh, uh, the school, the drone was right over my head. And I, how I know, because people sent me pictures. They saw us at the rally, and the drone was up in the air, and I saw the top of my skull and everything else. Well, I feel like we're in a, in the, in a, what do they call that, Russia. What that, kind that, of country are we becoming? Now, isn't that interesting, Jimmy? They had these demonstrations today where people were screaming, death to America, death to Israel, and they have no drones uh, taking photographs of them and comparing it with photo recognition technology. Oh, you mean the educated ones from Harvard and all that other crap? You know what? They're not worth their weight in salt. But you know what? Round them up like cattle and send them out to Israel. Let them see the people that are dead, the babies that were slaughtered. Let them see. And they want to praise Hamas. They could praise Stalingrad. That's what they could praise. They're no good. And I'm glad that philanthropists took all their names and he's going to blackball them all over Wall Street. Now they're screaming because they want their name off the list. Ha, ha, ha. Sometimes you're going to watch. You get what you wish for. Exactly, Jimmy. Frontline soldier in our battles to keep the illegal aliens out of Staten Island. St. John Villa. Later on, I'll give you an update on that. Looks like the fire marshals have declared many sites in Staten Island uninhabitable because they are fire traps. St. John Villa Academy is one. There are some others. And Eric Adams is scrambling. If he tells his um, embattled fire uh, commissioner, Kavanaugh, to disregard the orders from the fire marshals, oh, that will not be good. That will not be good. If the fire marshals have said the buildings that have been chosen by Eric Adams to house illegal aliens are fire traps, that they don't have sprinkler systems, you got to shut them down. 
you got to move the illegal aliens out. He is pressuring his fire commissioner, Kavanaugh, unliked by most of the fire department, to rescind the orders of the fire marshals. The fire marshals will be there one last time on Sunday. If they write the order, then every one of the illegal aliens in there, there are about 150, they had hoped to have 300 there, will have to be removed by the city. And Adams is desperately trying to lobby his fire commissioner, Kavanaugh, to rescind that order. You can't do that. You can't tell the fire marshals you cannot indicate that's a fire trap with no sprinkler system. Now watch. He's going to use some form of technology to do this, and Kavanaugh is going to probably fold, and this is going to lead to another court situation. My advice to the mayor is, you lost this battle. You can't win in Staten Island. It's time to retreat. Uh, go, go to places where you have no resistance, like Manhattan, where everybody complains and they do nothing. But do not go to places where you're going to get resistance because you don't have enough resources, you don't have enough cops. And I told you, we're going to weigh you down. Acts of civil disobedience, we're going to be out there morning, noon, and night, and that's what we've done. And your own cops, your own cops, if you listen to them, will tell you, Mayor, you can't win this one. All the drones in the world are not going to win you this one. Uh, there's a time to retreat, and there's a time to surrender. And I'll be more than happy to accept your sword, Eric Adams, just like Grant accepted the sword of Robert E. Lee at Appomattox. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I know you deceive me, now here's a surprise. I know that you have, cause there's magic in my eyes. I can see for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. If you think that I don't know about the little tricks you play. Never see you when deliberately you put things in my way. Well, here's a poke at you. You're gonna choke on it too. You're gonna lose that smile because of the while. I can see for miles and miles. I can see for miles and miles. I can see for miles and miles and miles and miles. That's the thing. You've been to Israel. It's about the size of the state of New Jersey. You ever went swimming in the Dead Sea, which I did? What a mistake. Salt. Oh. My eyes were irritated for like three days, yet there were some Russians there. They were in there like walruses. They love that stuff. Yeah. But you could see Jordan. You could reach out and touch Jordan from there. And then when you travel further down... To a lot on the Red Sea. You look to the right, you go to Sharm el Sheikh, 
right in Egypt, where they kept uh, where they kept uh, under house arrest Mubarak, uh, who had been the former uh, leader of uh, Egypt after Anwar Sadat was uh, assassinated uh, on the orders of Sheikh Omar Abdel the blind-eyed, Santa Claus hat-wearing Imam of Hate who was in the bowels of a jail in Egypt until the CIA rescued him and said, we're going to use him to recruit an army of jihadists to fight against uh, the Soviet army, which had marched into Afghanistan, took the uh, communist leader, hung him upside down like Mussolini was hung upside down by the partisans in Milan, and they stripped him uh, of all of his skin. And... Uh, that was it. Brezhnev decided to come in, take over with the T-2 tanks. And as a result of that, America decided it was more important to take these jihadists and turn them into Mujahideen allies, along with Osama bin Laden. We gave them money. We gave them supplies. We strengthened them. They eventually were able to repulse the Soviet Union. It suffered many casualties. That was a mistake for them. And then Afghanistan turned out to be a mistake from uh, for us. But I'll tell you, you could see for miles and miles from a lot on the Red Sea. If you look to your left, you see Aqaba and Jordan, where I actually rent, went and saw Tony Blair, the former prime minister of uh, the U.K., walking around. He had a house there. And uh, as I had mentioned, Aqaba in uh, Egypt, right next to uh, Elat where the uh, prices for hotels were much cheaper than a lot. A lot of Israelis went there. And then you look further down the tip of the Red Sea and you can see Saudi Arabia. You can see almost everything from different parts of Israel. It is amazing. And then you recognize how really small a country it is. And when you look at the West Bank and then you look at the uh, Strip, the Gaza Strip, and then you realize it's a small, contained country to begin with, surrounded by its enemies. You say, boy, this is a recipe for double trouble for a long, long, long time. Let's go to Michael in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Yes, hello, Michael. Curtis? Yes, Mike. Curtis? Yes, Mike. Curtis, this is Michael in Manhattan. Oh, Michael in Manhattan. Yes, Michael. Curtis, number one, I was wondering, in 1987, that's when this album says it was made. Did you ever listen to Roger Waters, the anti-Semite from uh, Pink Floyd? The album's called Radio Chaos, K-A-O-S. Did you ever listen to that? Yeah, I listened to a lot of Pink Floyd. Well, this isn't Pink Floyd. This is Roger Waters on his own. That, and, uh, that yeah, now, is there a specific song in that album of his? Well, I'm calling because actually the whole album, it's one storyline. And, um, well, let's just say that the main character in there is Bill Lee. <clears throat> it's a boy. And at the end of the album, uh, you could almost say that he is the boy behind the curtain that almost starts World War Three or the end of the world. Uh, you know, you were talking about the discronificator earlier going out and all this. And, you know, between you talking about that and what's going on in the Middle East and this being Roger Waters, the anti-Semite that he is, you know, the album just came back to me. And I said, you know, this is a really, I don't want to say timely, but 
What a strange, oddball piece of work this is to hear at this moment. And, of course, if you do listen to this, yeah, make sure you get the CD so you get the lyrics with it because it's hard to follow. All right, so, um, again, uh, just for edification, uh, this is Roger Waters by himself, not with uh, the band Pink Floyd. And what is the name of it? A Radio K-A-O-S, Chaos. Well, I thought that's what we do here at WABC at times, Radio Chaos. Well, that's it. And, and, it's, and it's written like, um, oh, was, what was that? Uh, uh, Get Smart. Remember Chaos was the, uh, was the enemy agent? Yeah. Yeah, so it's Radio Chaos spelled the same way, K-A-O-S. One more thing on the 13, on the number 13. Yes. There's a, there's a author. His name is Stan, as in Stanley, Gooch, G-O-O-C-H. Now, in the 1980s, he postulated that um, the Neanderthals had interbred with, uh, I guess, Homo erectus is what we are, had interbred with them. And at that time, the scientific community poo-pooed him and said, no way this was possible. Well, in the last 10 years, they found out that, yeah, there's uh, Neanderthal DNA in most northern European population. So he was proven correct after all. Well, along with his other thoughts, I guess you could say he was um, – um, I don't know what word to say, quite deductive in his reasoning, less scientific, less scientific, more deductive. Yes. He's got one chapter on in there on 13, all kinds of things on 13 coming from different places. But I seem to remember one of the things he mentions in there, he mentions that a very ancient Hebraic calendar had 13 months. And wow. he also mentioned, and he also mentioned that there was a, they found a, tile set into the ground, I forget what you call that, a mosaic. Yes. You mentioned that there's an mo- ancient mosaic, and uh, the ancient mosaic was slotted so there would be 13 equal pieces. Now, it had been re-slotted sometime in the past. Now there are 12, but they don't fit correctly because they were re-slotted. So they removed one, and he postulates that that 13th month was the month of the spider. Likewise, that all of these months had a animal attached, just like our Zodiac. Well, you know, I read this book probably 12 years ago, and that's pretty much all I can remember about this. But if you're curious, you can look that up. He published a few books on the Neanderthals. This was in the one that was published around nine, probably 2007, but his earlier work dates back to the 80s. So this would would be uh, before Homo erectus, right? The Homo sapiens. Well, uh, the Neanderthals exist, coexisted with with the Homo sapien. Uh, they, they say that the Neanderthal died out about, oh, probably 25,000 BC. Um, and, and that's it. And they said that they never interbred with the Homo sapien. And his postulate was that they actually did. And as I said, the scientific community said no, but once they invented DNA sequencing and all, they found out that, yes, he was true all along. But he had no way to prove it. He had just figured this out on his own. Well, the way he figures things out is another reason he talks about left-handedness and the number 13. All of these kind of crazy stuff, this crazy stuff that he figures out. You know, it's not science, but it's more than just um, pseudoscience. Let's just say this. It's quite the read, and you'd be interested in the chapter on 13, I think. Oh, yeah, and uh, just the fact that he was vindicated so many decades after his death. Gee, I hope that's not the case with me. 
Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
So we had February, make that Friday the 13th. And uh, people were freaking out as they normally do. And then added on to that was the Global Day of Rage, World Jihad by some screwball in Qatar that nobody knew, nobody ever heard of. With like one eye, you know, a prosthetic uh, leg, uh, hooked for an arm. You know, he looked apart. And everybody just got wussed out. Oh, I can't go to work. I can't function. I can't breathe. Oh, I'm, I'm suffering an anxiety attack. Nothing happened. Nothing happened on Global Day of Rage, World Jihad. Nothing happened. God, just don't understand. People just don't understand geopolitical issues. Americans take the attitude, we don't want to know what's over there. We don't want to know the differences between groups, who's local, who's national, who's international. That's al-Qaeda. That's ISIS, yes. Hamas, that's local. Local to uh, uh, Gaza. Local to the West Bank. They don't exist anywhere else. Oh, yeah. Global Day of Rage. World Jihad. Great opportunity to stay at home. I got two two reasons to stay at home. It's Friday the 13th. It's bad luck. And it's the Global Day of Rage. World Jihad. Uh, declared by somebody that nobody ever saw before, nobody knew, but oh, oh, he declared himself to be Hamas. How do you know he was Hamas? Did anybody bother to say, hey, I've never seen you before. Now all of a sudden you're the spokesperson for Hamas? What, were you hired by a PR agency? Oh, God. Fear, fright, hysteria, hype. Oh, my God. So frightened. You know, there were more people going to work in Israel in the middle of a war than there were here in New York City. The streets were empty. The offices were empty. The only ones in the streets were people with schmatas on their heads, covering their face, because they didn't want to be identified because of photo recognition technology that the NYPD probably wasn't using and should have with drones that they only use against me when I have rallies against illegal aliens. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. And the third reason that people probably gave for not coming to work and being slackers and deadbeats is that the ring of fire, the solar eclipse, is coming in just a few hours. And I knew that early on Friday when my wife was acting strange. Nancy, Lone Wolf One, who loves to go into Central Park, normally uh, under the cover of darkness, when there's a full moon or a blood moon or an eclipse of any type, and she finds this big boulder at the entrance to the ramparts and just howls like a wolf. And she was doing this in the middle of the day, and I knew, "Uh uh-oh, this ain't good. Because the coyotes were coming out. They, oh, there are coyotes there in Central Park now. Yep, coyotes in Central Park. No, and they're not dogs. They're coyotes. And they seem to come up to her, and she seems to be able to talk to them. I have no idea. She does coyote talk, Wiley Coyote. I don't know. No, they're not dogs. They're coyotes. Uh, Broadway Billy, trust me. I had to be following coyote tracks in the wee hours of the morning because Nancy insisted they were coyote tracks. 
So now you got a third reason to be in fear, fright, hysteria because of all the hype. The Ring of Fire solar eclipse that's coming today. Oh, God. So you had Friday the 13th. You had the uh, day of rage, jihad, by somebody of no consequence who looked, he was like out of central casting in guitar, and everybody was like, oh, oh, oh. She'd all be ashamed of yourself. But the other thing uh, I've noticed and I've detected, and I need your help in trying to decipher this, ladies and gentlemen, is laughs. The kind of laughs, whether it's nervous laughs or it's laughs at us, where they're laughing at us, not with us. Uh, probably the most famous laugh is at the end of this song, Thriller. It's Vincent Price laughing. Let's see if we could get a little sample of that, please. <laughs> Without a doubt, that's got to be the most famous laugh ever in, in audio form. Now, the question is, with Vincent Price, was he laughing at you? Was he laughing with you? What was he laughing about? That's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then, of course, is Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. And there's his laugh, and he's always laughing at the most inopportune times. I don't know if it's a tick, a nervous habit, like Tourette's syndrome. I have no idea. But this is one of his typical laughs. Uh, what kind of a laugh is that, ladies and gentlemen? Is that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, laughing at us? Laughing with us? Or just, is that like a nervous tick? Is it because he's schizophrenic? What is that laugh? One eight hundred. That's like a belly laugh, you know. It's right out of his belly. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Then the other infamous laugh is by Giggles Harris, the vice president, the former U.S. senator of California. The former attorney general of the state of California, Kamala Harris, a.k.a. Giggles Harris. (laughs) So now, is the vice president laughing at us, laughing with us? Is that a nervous tick? Or is she also botched, titched, uh... You know, with severe problems, and that's why she laughs. One eight hundred. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. And then, of course, it's probably the most famous laugh, other than Vincent Price, at the end of Thriller. That's the Hillary Rodham Clinton chortle. Ha, 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 ha,
So is Hillary laughing at us? Is she laughing with us? Is it like a tick, a habit that she has, a nervous habit? Or does it also prove that maybe she's got some emotional issues there? By the way, uh, who has the most endearing laugh there? Who has the most enjoyable laugh there, if one could even associate joy with chortles like that? Could I hear them in a cacophony, uh, sort of conflated all together again there, Broadway Bill Lee? Let me hear as you mix one into the other, into the other, into the other. So you have to say to yourself, are they all laughing with us? Are they laughing at us? Are they all suffering from a nervous tick? That's why they laugh like that. Or are they ubats? Are they... Do they have all the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms? Are they schizophrenic? Are they bipolar? Are they manic depressive? I mean, you can tell a lot by somebody's laugh. But it's, I wouldn't say it's infectious, but they're, they're various derivatives from Vincent Price to Eric Adams' laugh to Kamala Harris's laugh to Hillary Rodham Clinton's laugh. Oh, my God. It's like a nightmare listening to all those laughs together. You can imagine. You're in the middle of your sleep. You're cutting a few Z's. You know, I only sleep a few hours. But I could, I would be woke up in a cold sweat if I heard all those laughs together. Is that a collective laugh? Is that a laugh that makes you very suspicious of the intentions of that person? Or is it genuine, a genuine belly laugh that just makes you feel good? All of a sudden, they're laughing. That means you're laughing. The whole world is good. I don't know. It's somewhat... uh, 
Ugh. Creepy, their laughs. Can't even say it's an infectious laugh. It's a creepy kind of laugh. Especially the Vice President Kamala Harris. Giggles Harris, as I call her. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Sharon in Canada. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Hi, darling. How are you? I've had better days. I've had better days. Now, which part of Canada are you calling from? Toronto, which is right in the heart of the city. Oh, sure. T.O. Uh, which uh, neighborhood? Uh, I'm, I'm on the east side, baby. Oh, yeah, I spent a lot of time over in the Jane Finch Carter, Cabbage Town, Regent Park, uh, the world's largest uh, suburb, flat suburb, Mississauga, Scarborough. Oh, I love Toronto. I love Toronto. I'm a Scarborough girl. Yeah, I love love Toronto. The more people don't realize this, there are more Italians in Toronto than there are in New York City. (laughs) Probably so. Yes, now, uh, calling all the way from Canada, how are you listening to us uh, at this time in the morning? How? I just got up to have some curry and roti. I never do this, and I said, let me put the radio back onto my station. And when I heard this, I said, this is powerful. Um, All the laughs, Vincent for me is numero uno, because Vincent has such a laugh that you can't really put your finger on it. But to me, (laughs) but to me, I say you can take it either or because he means no harm. Mm. Wow. And you're listening on a terrestrial radio or on an app or a stream of your laptop? No, just. Um, I just dialed out on my phone. Wow. And do you normally listen to WABC? Yes, I do. <laughs> Good. Good. Now, you have a lot of radio stations in Toronto over the years. I've been interviewed uh, by quite a few of them. Why is it you prefer uh, listening to our station from across the border in New York, WABC? Well, two reasons. I love New Yorkers. I'm a Michigan girl. Um, I just, it just resonates with me. Nothing over here that we have resonates with me so much. And the commentary, sometimes some of the things that you say, I'd be saying to myself, doggy. And when you talked about those coyotes, (laughs) when you talk, when you talked when you talked about those coyotes, I said they better be careful because those coyotes can take down a deer. That's true. That's true. Now, what brought you from Michigan up to Toronto? Well, it went down like this. Uh, Twenty two got married. I left. Uh, got married to uh, a U.S. Uh, guy. And things didn't really work out, so I stayed. I opened up my own limousine company and drove a lot of celebrities and a lot of, you know, high-powered figures and the the mayor, that kind of stuff. I had – I'm writing a book about it, actually. 
it's, it was just an amazing time. It was quite dangerous at some points, but um, I was uh, able to go to Janet Jackson's school uh, to learn how to become a real chauffeur. And I'm so grateful for that. I did a lot of voiceovers on the radio, uh, Mojo. I did a book with him. He's a very famous uh, DJ in, um, in Detroit. I had a lot of great, great experiences. Mm. Now, you said that uh, you had ridden around the uh, mayor. Was that the crackhead mayor there, Rob Ford? Yeah, no, no, that ain't no crackhead mayor. That's the other mayor. Oh, that's uh, the Coleman. other mayor. Excuse me. Coleman. Coleman, baby. Coleman. <laughs> Good old pimp Coleman, yeah. Yes, yeah, so, uh, Coleman. Yeah. So you were riding him around in Detroit. Yes, yes. Wow, do you realize he was my enemy? He had me locked up in the Detroit House of Correction for 10 days. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, that I didn't know, hon, so please forgive me for that. No, that no, 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 but he was. He They did refer to him as King Coleman Young. He was. Uh, yeah. He, he ran Detroit like a fiefdom, as if it was uh, his yeah. kingdom, and everybody was yeah. his servants, and shut your mouth, you just do whatever King yeah. Coleman wants. It's true. And, you know, one day he gave me a VHS back then, and I had to take it from point A to point B. And he told me, do not look at this tape. Child, I wanted to pull over so bad because I knew whatever was on that tape was serious. But, no, I didn't look, and I delivered it to where it was supposed to go. But there was some stuff going down there. Yeah, no, no, he was, he always had a shade on his face in terms of his dealings. Uh, <laughs> where, yeah. where were you living at that time? Gross Point. Oh, Gross Point. Oh, that was the wealthy area. <laughs> that was the wealthy oh, area. Oh, I, I could tell you some stories, honey, that would curl your eyelashes. No, I can imagine. I used to be right there in East Detroit where the old airport was, the small airport. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that was crime central. Crime central. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and especially with the Italians, with the mafioso. Yeah, that. And then on Devil's Night, they try to burn the city down. Oh, I know. But, you know, they changed it, right, to uh, Angel's Night. Yeah, well, why do you think they called it Angels Night? Yeah, well. Well, look, I'm Mr. Guardian Angel. I was there. I helped them in oh. Northwest when they uh, were having problems because every Devil's Night, Mischief Night, they call it in other places like Camden and other cities, uh, they would try to burn down the city, especially in East Detroit. And the, the uh, organizer, his name escapes me, he said, you know, we should actually call it Angel Night after the Guardian Angels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are they still around? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm the leader. We're in 13 countries, 130 cities. We have about 5,000 oh. members. Amazing. Can I Can I join? Of course you can. Of course How you can. How do you join? Well, I'll, I'll give you the information. Uh, if you can, let's get, uh, let's get uh, Miss Teo's information so I can uh, hook her up with the uh, Guardian Angel director. Just get her name, phone number, email, if at all possible. <laughs> and again, the laughs. I like my own laugh. I want to compare my laugh 
to all of these Gabons. So we have, uh, <laughs> you see, that's my laugh. And so you had Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the no. illegal aliens laugh. Then you had Kamala Harris, the vice president's laugh, which is, uh, it's like a goofball's laugh. <laughs> and then you have Hillary Rodham Clinton's laugh, the chortle. And then, of course, probably the most famous laugh of all time, Vincent Price, at the end of the pedophile on a pedestal song, Thriller, by Michael Jackson. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Cyrus in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here, Cyrus. Yes, hello, Cyrus. Cyrus has done the bird. He's flown the coop. I know he didn't go to sleep. He just called. Oh, wow. The plot thickens here. Cyrus has stymied me. So let's flip the script and go to Michael up in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. All right, Curtis. Uh, you do have the greatest laugh, um, but Vincent Price definitely wins it all. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the other laughs are pretty much kind of like evil. Now, which one? Like, there's the, the the rest of those laughs that you have mentioned are pretty much evil laughs, like the the Hillary. Like, I don't think she laughs. It's 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 well, it's self-explanatory. Everybody who's listening knows what that sounds like. Yeah, I sense uh, the evilness of that laugh. Yeah, it's like that could be the wicked witch of the uh, East. <laughs> In the Wizard of Oz. Exactly. <laughs> now, the, uh, obviously, the uh, Kamala Harris, that's like a joke laugh. It's just like, I don't know. God, it's like a nightmare. Yeah. Can you, yeah, I mean, you imagine, you, you, you yeah. imagine Bill in, in that Love Shack in Chappaqua having to listen to her chortle, her laugh there, <laughs> Hillary's laugh? Oh boy. With those bug guys? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, that would make, uh, that would make any man go AWOL. I'm out of here. One person that you did leave off with a great laugh, and I know you're not a fan of this guy, was Flavor Flav, because he did that. That's right, Flavor Flav, a public enemy. That's right. Well, we'll see if we can can tap into that. You are correct. I hate Flavor Flav. (laughs) 
I want to, I want to take that, that clock around his neck and strangle him. Maybe, maybe the worst thing I've ever seen on TV, Michael, was Flavor Flav in that VH1 program of him uh, rolling in the hay with Brigitte, Brigitte Nielsen. That was, that made your stomach turn, Michael. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. People ask me, how you doing? I said, I've had better days. I've had better days. Yeah, they're shocked when I say that. Normally people say, how you doing? No, how you doing? No, I'm doing good. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. And you know they're lying. Because if everybody was doing good, they wouldn't be walking around with dog faces or doom and gloom. So when you come up to me and you say, yo, Sleeper, how you doing? I say, I've had better days. I've had better days.
used to the same old knee-jerk reaction. Oh, I'm good. You good. Yeah, I'm good. Why you lying? I can see in your face you ain't good. No, no. Everything's good. Everything's copacetic. No, it ain't. Yes, it is. Oh, it's great. Life is great. No, you, you're lying. You're lying. I can see that in your face. I can see that in your posture. I can see that in your whole circumference. You've had better days, haven't you? I know a lot of you listening right now, you're nodding your head. You say, yeah, I've, I've had better days, too. Oh, yeah. Bet you, ladies and gentlemen, you never heard that response in your life when somebody asks, how you doing? I've had better days. I, I bet you, you never heard that before. I think uh, I've trademarked that I should copyright that because that's that's my knee-jerk response. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Richard in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here, Richard. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? You know what's funny when you say, how you doing? People don't really care anyway, so why answer them, you know? <laughs> You're right. It's almost like a yeah. tick. A knee, you know, just something you say out of habit. I know, and they don't care. They don't care. I saw you in the city. I didn't say, how you doing? I said, hey, thanks for everything you do. We, I really appreciate it more than you know. I'm about your age, and I'm so sorry you didn't win there. I live in Jersey, but it's... But, man, you could have changed that place around so much. Uh, it's a disappointment. But are you going to run again? Well, the people want people want me to run, Rich. I'm telling you, uh, I'm advising all Democrats out there. If you live out of New York uh, City, you can vote five times, six times, seven times. So if you happen to be a Democrat, Rich, even though you live outside of the city, you can vote for me five, six, or seven times. Yeah, I'd love to, buddy. I'd love to. Hey, question for you. You know, I see that the crook from Hudson County got charged with being an agent for a foreign country. How come the Biden guy isn't charged with the same thing? Yeah, you mean Gold Bar Menendez, right? There we go, yeah. Right. I have $400,000 stuffed in my shirt in case he wants some, you know? <laughs> yeah, the capo di tutti of all crooked senators up on the hill in Washington uh, you're absolutely right. Why is it that Bobby Menendez, who I hate, I loathe, I despise, and no doubt was uh, a foreign agent uh, in negotiation with the country of Egypt, why he would be charged with that crime, and it is a crime, and not Hunter Biden, who was an agent for multiple countries? Multiple. Yeah, I, I know. You think he'll ever get charged, or he's just going to say something? Yeah, but you know something? This guy is such a dirtbag, Bobby Menendez. He's gotten away with so much, and he just feels that he is impervious 
to anybody peeling away the veneer of his corruption and actually finding him guilty. He he is so sure of himself that before a jury of 12 people, they will not have a majority uh, verdict against him. Uh, that's sad. That's sad. Hey, I don't want to keep you. It's a pleasure. I'm driving up to Boston to see my grandkid play soccer at 8 in the morning. And uh, I, I hear you're at the McGurk studio. I miss Bernie in the mornings, I'll tell you. Oh, let me tell you, we all do. Uh, the great Bernard McGurk, uh, when you combine his ability as a producer and a talk show host, he was the best multitasker in this business, uh, the greatest of all time. He could produce and he could broadcast, and that's a trait that very few, if any, people have ever had in this thing of ours, radio. Yeah, I agree. The guy in the morning is missing him badly, man. I can't even listen to that. You know, he and Sid were good, but Sid by himself, forget it, you know? Well, that's because Sid has such a humongous ego, he needs a crane to get him in and out of the studio each morning. Yeah, he's talking to Eric Adams like he's the best buddy. It makes me sick. Makes me I'm sick. I'm the man. Not only that, but you got to understand there is a rationale for why he does that. Like, for instance... Eric Adams would never come on with me because we like two scorpions in a brandy glass. So he's actually, by being nice to Eric Adams at times, he gets him to say things he would never say any other time, any other place, and especially not here on WABC. So there is a method to uh, Sid Rosenberg's ego-maniacal madness. New York is a freaking mess. That's right, Dove Hiking, who has actually flown to Israel. Now, who would I want flying to Israel at this point? A warrior like Dove Hiking, who belonged to the JD, uh, JDL, Every Jew at 22, or the Schmuckterputz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumann, the Schmendrick, the Pischer, who's filling up a 747, LL 747, with all the big markers, Democratic Jewish markers, and they're going to Israel to do what? How they, you doing? What do you mean, how am I doing? I've had better days to hear that Chucky's Cheese Schumann's going over there to, quote, save Israel. I think we need to save Israel from Chucky Cheese Schumann. Let's call him back. Oh, God, to have to listen to that guy go on and on and natter. And, oh, God, you know he's throwing bull feathers out there. The guy is a professional bull feather thrower. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. By the way, his father was an exterminator down on Avenue R in Brooklyn. And his dad said, hey, hey, son, would you like to follow in my footsteps, be an exterminator? No, no, dad. Uh, he actually, his first job was in printing while he was going to Madison High School. And then he, he should have been indicted by Elizabeth Holzman uh, for election fraud activities as an assemblyman. But they, she kicked it up to Cuomo. To his criminal justice advisor, a guy named Palumbo, and that disappeared. Well, that would have been the end uh, to Chuck E. Cheese, Schumer's, uh, the Schmuckter Putz's career. Uh, she had him on the ropes. He was going to be indicted for political corruption as an assemblyman. He would never have been able to take on Solars. Just a note. How despicable a man is Donald Trump? That's all you got to say? Let me tell you, so when it comes to Israel, as much as I disagree with Donald Trump, he was a much better president in dealing with Israel. Uh, when he moved the uh, embassy from uh, 
from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, I thought all hell would broke loose. It did for like a day or two, and he was right. It was the right thing to do. The Abraham Accord with his uh, son-in-law, Kushner. Oh, that's right. My father-in-law negotiated the Abraham Accord. You know, with the UAE. Oh, yeah. That's true. Got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, with Biden in, the Middle East is now a hot mess. And the Persian Gulf, a hot mess. 1-800-848-9222. Let's if go. protests are peaceful, yes. My house is, there's protests three, four times a week outside my house. That's the, uh, the American way to peacefully protest is okay. You're never there, schmuck. What do you care, a Prospect Park West. Nobody has ever seen you coming out of that brownstone right across the street from Prospect Park. Nobody has ever seen Because he's too busy getting wine-dined and pocket-lined all over the country. Let's go to Tommy Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Good morning, Curtis. How are you? I've had better days, Tom. How you doing? Yeah, how you doing? So I heard, how you doing? No, how you doing? No, how you doing? How you doing? Bada bing, you, what are you doing, my friend? Go ahead, Tommy. So I heard... What's up? So I heard Blinken's coming out with a new letter this week, signed by 100 intelligent analysts, confirming that Hunter Biden had nothing to do with Hamas. <laughs> oh, boy, talking of a hot mess. That guy, oh, my God. Is there anything that guy ever did in his life that was copacetic? Negative, Kay. Nothing, my friend. He's as fugazi as they get. Probably the most reviling from taking all the money, using the uh, his father's influence as vice president, really stealing the money, and then just uh, wasting it on hookers and beaming himself up to Scotty in that glass pipe smoking crack was when he... Ended up getting married to his sister-in-law. Oh, my God. God, what the hell was that? Well, you know, Curtis, they say once you smoke crack, you never go back. Ah, that's it. Yeah, you're spot on there. But that was probably the most reviling thing of all the horrible things that he did in his life. If I was his father, I would never forgive him for that. That's so low, it's it's beyond low. Well, it's terrible. If if and you then if cheat you, on it no less, of course. But imagine if your father knows that the son's got the goods on him, he will tolerate everything. Hold up, wait a minute. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Now I have the time of my life. No, I never felt like this before. Yes, I swear it's a truth. And I owe it all. Close out, the time of my life, and I owe it all to you. 
What a great movie. Patrick Swayze, no longer with us. Pancreatic cancer took him out. And uh, who was that? Gray. That was Gray. Jennifer Gray. Remember how our own cousin Brucey was playing the uh, magician, sawing her in half? Cousin Brucey. Yeah, he had a great part. He'll be uh, coming at you in a few hours. After the uh, Prince of Staten Island, Vinnie Madunio from 5 to 6, then Cousin Brucey 6 to 10, then Tony Orlando without Dawn. And then I'm back to do it all over again and take you to the break of dawn from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. Oh, yeah, we we conflate the entertainment aspect, the music aspect, the calls, the trivia, the information, and things maybe you just didn't know. That's what we do within the six hours of the best side of the other side of midnight. Exclusive to WABC, which stands for always broadcasting. Curtis. W-A-C-C. Let's go to Joanne in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joanne. <laughs> I was waiting waiting for a while. I was waiting earlier, too, and then I went to sleep. Yeah, yeah, I woke up to that. Wait a second, Joanne, you, you, you went to sleep on me? Well, listen, because I was listening for, you know, a long time, all night to everything. So I had to sleep at some point, maybe an hour. You cheated on me, oh, Joanne. You cheated oh my on God. me. Well, not much, though. Not much. I do a lot of Curtis Sliwa. Yes, I do. I do a lot of laughing. I think you're wild. And I think you're brilliant. You know, you know, you're brilliant. But I wake up to that, and I thought I was dream. I thought I was at my son-in-law's Halloween house. He has a display, and those laughs sound like that. He has all kinds of things going on. Oh, yeah, you mean in those uh, Halloween uh, displays that some people put out where they have the jack-o'-lantern laughing. They have yeah, the, the, Yes, the graveyard and laughs and cries, and, and that's what it sounded like. It was, like, hysterical. I'm like, oh, my God, it's really funny. And I think, yeah, hilarious. You have a good laugh, too. But Hillary's, uh, oh, it's, oh. Between Hillary and Kamala, uh, I call her Kamala. I call her Kamala because that's what she, so hysterical. Oh, my God. Anyway, Curtis. Oh, God. How pathetic is that? That represents us. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, she's like, it, look, I, I tell you, if I had never heard Hillary Rodham Clinton before, never saw her, I would have thought that, oh, that had to be the Wicked Witch of the East from The Wizard of Oz. Totally. Oh, my. Well, she is, isn't she? <laughs> totally. And uh, and Kamala, it's embarrassing to us as a nation when she goes somewhere and starts laughing like that. Yeah. She's talking about the yellow, the yellow school bus and everything. Yeah, and she busts out with that laugh at the most inopportune oh. times. Yes, she does. It's so embarrassing. I mean, we are really one... Uh, nation right now to be to be left at I, I it is horrible what are we going to do and how will we ever survive a year but now uh what do you equate that to do you think it's just nerves that they're nervous when they laugh like that when they have yeah, a chortle like yes. that yes yes because growing up i had a girlfriend that did and it was a nervous laugh mm. and she's still doing it but when we were young that's exactly what i thought it was mm. A nervous laugh. Yep, yep. So Curtis, let me say, 
Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Clearly. oh, God, that's a swagger man with no plan, Joanne. <laughs> you know? Yes. Let, let's talk about, I want to talk about one serious thing, though. Did you, I'm sure you heard about, but maybe that hour that I did sleep, you may have addressed it. I don't know. Did you, did you hear about, um, uh, what's the coffee place there? Oh my God, look at me here. Um, and we have a new one that's just getting ready to open up by us here. And I'm hoping we get to protest it. They decided to go with the Palestinians. They made it public knowledge. Oh, oh yeah, that's the uh, that's the unionized Starbucks place. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, their union is in solidarity with Hamas. First off, you go to Starbucks, you pay $5 for a stale cup of coffee to begin with, plain coffee. Why waste your money at Starbucks? And particularly if it's a union operation, their union is supporting Hamas. Don't spend your shekels there. Don't spend your dollars, euros, or your yen there. Here's Curtis Lewa. the Mamaluk Frank Morano is going to put in a bid to the house that he always dreamed of living in. The uh, Palazzo a big poorly Castellano. Right? Yours and, truly. The and, Frankster. I know, I know, and I know that you were trying to buy it virtually, Frank. I know you were playing that game uh, that existed. It was nothing but a scam. Well, you tried to buy Big Paulie Castellano's house in a virtual way, and like Bitcoin, which you didn't listen to me, is nothing but crime coin. Blockchain is block crime, and naturally, cryptocurrency is one big Ponzi scheme. You thought that you'd be able to lift that that house virtually. It didn't happen. It's time to make the donuts. And now... That house, a big Paulie Castellano, is up on the block for $17 million. Known as the White House, eight bed, 17 bath property, 17 bath property sits on two acres of manicured grounds in Tote Hill and has an unobstructed view of what I call the Guinea Gangplank, a.k.a. the Verrazano Bridge. 33,000 square foot manor has a host of amenities, including a gym, a sauna, a library, home theater, wine cellar, personal beauty parlor, solarium, indoor and outdoor Olympic sized pools, plus a 13 car showroom. Oh, yeah. And I remember it was all part of, uh, you might have, uh, seen that, uh, Netflix, uh, 
four-part series, Fear City. Uh, I was the opening act in the barber shop chair. The uh, barber there wanted to slit my throat years before, but all of a sudden he was so happy to have me in his barber shop chair. And I was telling the story of my uncle, uh, my uncle Jimmy Scavone, the degenerate gambler owner, big to the Bonanno crime family. And uh, so the beginning of it featured me, but the rest of it featured my Kumbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, and uh, the many FBI agents who would gain access to cars, houses, uh, social clubs, meeting places of the mobsters choking on their lobsters, the geriatric espresso-sipping psychotic killers of organized crime, and bug them like they did in the 1980s to Big Paulie Castellano. The property, 177 Benedict Road. Man, for a long time there, he was like a hermit. He just didn't go anywhere. What was it? Uh, a few blocks away, a while back, some screwball shot and killed uh, Frankie Cali. I think it was 219, tw- 2019. Outside his palazzo, not far away, probably about a mile away from Castellano's uh, big house there. The Benedict uh, Roadhouse of Big Paulie Castellano was built in 1980 and last sold in 2000. It's been the target of burglars several times over the years, I'll bet, because crime is skyrocketing on Staten Island. Skyrocketing. They don't have enough cops, and they got an ambulance chaser as a DEA, McMahon, who's always claiming, they won't let me do my job. Yeah, do your freaking job, McMahon. Anyway, in 2015, Hillary Rodham Clinton held a fundraiser for her presidential campaign there, hosted by the owner then, Sal Rusi. So she came away with a lot of loot at Big Paulie's house. So we're going to talk about this who double disgrazia, Paulie Castellano, who my family had personal beef with, uh, which I'll go into great detail with you. But now... That his uh, White House is up for sale in Toad Hill for 17 mil. And Frank Morano wasn't able to buy it virtually. That's because he's a deadbeat. You know, he's, uh, come on. You can never depend. When it comes to money, Frank's a fair-weather friend, right? He's a fair-weather friend. So, Constantino Paul Castellano. That was his name, Constantino. He hated being called Constantino. And uh, he was the son-in-law of Carlo Gambino and ended up taking over the Gambino crime family only to be executed years later right outside of Sparks uh, Steakhouse, 46th and 3rd, not far from where we broadcast here at WABC. And I think it was December 16th of 1985. I applauded that so much. God, I had no idea who whacked him at that point. But I will tell you this. The very people I applauded years later tried to whack me. So what the hell was I applauding them when they took out Tommy Bellotti, his bodyguard and driver, and obviously Paulie Castellano. But uh, from what I remember, because we hated this guy right down to the marrow of his bone. He was born in Bensonhurst to Italian immigrants, Giuseppe and Conchetta Castellano. 
Giuseppe was a butcher by trade. No, no, no. He was not like Roy DeMeo of, uh, of, uh, the killing machine. No, 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 no. He wasn't that kind of butcher. And a early member of the Mangano crime family, the forerunner of the Gambino family. Castellano dropped out of school in the eighth grade to learn butchering and collecting numbers, game receipts, both from his dad and from others. He was arrested in 1934 for robbing a suit shop. At that time, he was 19 years old in Hartford, Connecticut. He refused to identify the two guys who helped him to the police. And he served a three-month prison sentence right there in Connecticut in Hartford. And so he proved that snitches get stitches and end up in ditches because he wouldn't rat out his uh, associate burglars. By refusing to cooperate with authorities, Castellano enhanced his reputation with mob loyalty. Meantime, Castellano's sister Catherine had married one of their cousins, future mafia boss Carlo Gambino in 1932. Unfortunately for her, she died in 1999, and uh, she would oftentimes sign his name, C. Paul Castellano, because he hated that first name, Constantino. And that was his first name at birth. Could never escape that. So we take it back in the time machine. In 1957, Albert Anastasia, is sitting in a barber chair, I believe at the Sheraton. He's getting his shave. He's got the cigar, you know, he's smoking with the uh, hot towel wrapped around it. When all of a sudden, uh, Joey Kid blasts and uh, the Gallo brothers come in and blast him into the hereafter. And uh, as a result of that, Carlo Gambino was elevated to a boss. And Castellano attended the Appalachian meeting in Appalachian, New York, where the New York State Police were tipped off by one of their own, raided the meeting. Castellano was one of 61 mob guys who had come there from all over the country. He refused to answer grand jury questions about the meeting. Castellano spent a year in prison on contempt charges. And then in 1960, Castellano was sentenced to five years in prison for conspiracy to withhold information. That uh, case went on to appeal, and Castellano's conviction was reversed. So now all of a sudden he was considered, oh, you see, this guy never rats you out. Doesn't matter. He'll do time. He'll take it. He'll take those secrets right on down to Davy Jones's locker when he's swimming with the fishes in Jamaica Bay. And from that point on, Castellano identified himself as a businessman first and a mob guy second. In his early years, Castellano used his butcher's training to launch Dial Poultry. That was a poultry distribution business that supplied 300 butchers in New York City. Dial's customers also included supermarket chains, key food and wall bombs. Castellano would use intimidation tactics to force his customers to buy Dial's products by bending your leg and sticking it in your pocket. Castellano's son, Philip, was the president of Scaramix Concrete Corporation, which exercised a near monopoly on Staten Island, a.k.a. Staten Italy, on all the construction concrete that was poured. 
Castellano also handled the Gambino interest in the Concrete Club. That was a club of contractors selected by the Mob Commission to handle contracts between 2 and $15 million. And in return, they had to kick up. Castellano also supervised Gambino control of the Teamsters Union Local Chapter 282, which provided workers to pour the concrete at all major building projects in New York and Long Island. You didn't get to construct anything unless you went through Paulie Castellano. That was true of Donald Trump, the builder. That was true of so many other people. Couldn't get a foot of concrete poured. In fact, it was Ed Koch who tried to break that monopoly by putting into business on the uh, Upper West Side, actually Lower West Side, excuse me, along the uh, along the Hudson River, a guy from Guyana uh, who uh, he gave a concrete mixing plant that the city had seized as a result of foreclosure. And this guy couldn't make, make it uh, work because nobody would do business with him. Everybody was afraid of retaliation from Big Paulie Castellano and the other guys who were part of the concrete club who were getting their kickbacks on every square foot of concrete that was being poured on the island of Manhattan. Castellano also supervised the Gambino control of the Teamsters in many, many ways through force and brutality. In 1975, Paulie Castellano had Vito Borelli, the boyfriend of his daughter Constance, murdered because he heard Borelli had compared him to Frank Perdue, the owner and commercial spokesperson for Perdue Farms. In 2004, court documents revealed that Joseph Messino, big fat Joe Messino of the Banano crime family, who had become a government witness and uh, former boss, admitted murdering Borelli as a favor to Castellano. That's not Joe Borelli, the councilman in the South Shore. I know that, uh, you know, that's like mixing ammonia and bleach with me. On October 15, 1976, Carlo Gambino died of natural causes. He was an illegal alien, the head of organized crime. When he would go to meetings in Italy... They would bring him across the border north into Ontario to the port of Toronto, and he would take a boat from there to Italy, then come back into the port of Toronto, and they'd smuggle him back into the country. That's how he did it over and over and over again. But Neil Delacroce became the titular head at that time. But it was Castellano who persevered, taking over from his uh, father-in-law, because his focus was white-collar business. Meantime, Delacroce at the time was in prison for tax evasion and was unable to contest Castellano's succession. Castellano's succession was confirmed at a meeting on November 24th with Delacroce present. Castellano arranged for Delacroce to remain as underboss while directly running traditional Cosa Nostra activities. While Delacroce accepted Castellano's succession, the deal effectively split the Castellano, uh, split the Gambino family into two rival factions, which it did. Our numbers 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts who play tippy tippy tay tippy tippy tay like a guitar and When the stars make you drool, just like a pastefazul at Samore. When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, signore. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's more. That's amore. Bells will ring. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. And you sing Vita Bella. Vita Bella, Vita Bella. Hearts will play. Tippy-tippy-tay, Like a guitar bella. Lucky fella. When the stars make you drool just like pasta Nice bowl of pasta azul with a good piece of Italian bread. That's all you need. It sticks to your ribs. Meantime, we're talking about Big Paulie Castellano's mansion there and Tote Hill now going for $17 million. Frank Morano has a bid on it, believe it or not. I don't know what consortium he's representing. Probably uh, Gotti Jr. and the Gotti crime family. But uh, I notice uh, in the advance, the Staten Island advance, he's made a bid on it, believe it or not. He was toying around with doing something uh, virtually with it. But this is Frank Morano. It's got his address. It says Frank Morano, South Shore, talk show host, WABC. So that makes sense. By the way, this is the perfect song because uh, once uh, Big Paulie Castellano had that 17-room mansion he built there in Toad Hill designed to look just like the White House. It really does. He, uh, since he no longer had his wife with him, his wife had passed away, he started a love affair with his living Colombian maid. He was having a hard time um, having the urge to merge there, Broadway Bill Lee, so he had to use the pump. 
And it became quite the uh, joke amongst members of his affiliated Gambino crime family. That Paul But once he had that uh, mansion, once he had that uh, Toad Hill mansion, he became a recluse, rarely venturing outside. In fact, guys would come to have sit-downs with Paulie Castellano at his mansion in Toad Hill, and he'd wear satin, sateen, and silk dressing gowns and velvet slippers around the house. Weak. You know, probably doing a Hugh Hefner routine, but just totally weak. Totally weak. It was at that time that he ordered the murder of his former son-in-law, Frank Amato. Amato had physically abused his wife, uh, Connie Castellano, when they were married. But that's like right out of the scene in The Godfather, right? Oh, yeah. And Gambino soldier Roy DeMeo of The Killing Machine, the psychotic leader of that killing crew that I grew up with, Joey Test, uh, Anthony Centaur, the Gemini twins, and uh, Joey's brother, Patty Tester. Uh, he eventually became uh, the de facto leader of that crew. And uh, DeMeo murdered Amato, cut up his body, and disposed of the remains right in Jamaica Bay. So imagine here, this guy was riding high in the saddle, Everybody had to come and pay tribute to him. He was the first white-collar boss of all bosses, as agreed to by the commission. But Gotti, my enemy, was not my enemy at that time. Uh, John Gotti, Della Croce's former protege, decided that, hey, he had to uh, break ranks with Castellano's leadership because... The new boss, meaning Castellano, was just too isolated and way too greedy to the average guys who had to go out there and had to uh, hustle morning, noon, and night in order to make a living. But Gotti's uh, stock and trade was hijacking, hijacking uh, trucks and cargo containers from Kennedy Airport to Lufthansa Heights. Just gave you an idea of a what much of uh, life was in and around uh, JFK at that time. Federal crime. Gotti, uh, though, was also expanding into dealing uh, narcotics. And uh, it's the very thing that Castellano had banned. So he had to do it on the down low. And then Castellano did what I've talked about with Sid Rosenberg in the uh, mornings. Every morning, Monday through Friday at 7.05, he uh, ordered the murder of Roy DeMeo. As you know, Sid Rosenberg was the bartender in the Bamboo Lounge. He played uh, Dracula, uh, a cousin of Roy DeMeo. But Roy DeMeo was found shot to death in the trunk of his Cadillac automobile. In March of 1983, the FBI obtained a warrant to install secret listening devices in Castellino's home waiting until Castellano went on vacation. Agents uh, were able to get over on his watchdogs, disable his security system, and planted devices in the dining and living rooms. 
And those devices provided law enforcement with a wealth of incriminating information on Castellano. And remember, that was all featured in uh, Fear City, which had uh, Michael Baticic, Rudy Giuliani dominating three episodes. And actually, I started off that first episode. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I know I'd go from rags to riches. If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire My clothes may still be torn and tattered But in my heart I'd be a king Love is all that ever mattered It's everything So open your arms And you'll open the door To every treasure that I'm hoping for Tell me you're mine evermore. Tony Bennett, Rags to Riches. So as you know, Holy Castellano, his White House is up for sale, $17 million on Toad Hill. And I see, uh, according to the advance, that Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, has uh, put in a bid for it uh, virtually. He doesn't have that kind of money. I don't understand. What the hell does he think he's doing here? And it is the same Frank Morano. Uh, it doesn't have the word Mama Luke uh, in between his names, but it's his address. No doubt about it. I don't know where the hell he thinks he's going to come up with that kind of money. 17 million bucks? So anyway, uh, Paulie Castellano chugged on. Remember, the son of a butcher, he was a butcher. He had a butcher shop on 92nd Street and Avenue L in Canarsie. And that's when my family, on my mother's side, Francesca's side, uh, had a situation occur with Paulie Castellano that they would never forget. That they wanted to continue to put on the, the Malukia, the Italian curse on him. So... My mother had rheumatic fever. She was the last drop, the 13th child of uh, Nicoletta, her mother, my grandmother, and Fidela Bianchino, her father, my grandfather. So at an early age, she had rheumatic fever, very similar to what Bobby Darren had. He had rheumatic fever also. At that time, uh, the feeling was that rheumatic fever could cause your heart to explode like John Ritter's uh, aorta exploded. So they would tell the uh, children 
that you would have to sit in a chair in a stationary position and not exert yourself or you could die. So you can imagine that was like a torturous situation for any young children, uh, boys or girls. And that there was only one remedy that they knew of. Now, whether it was an old world's tale, an old wife's tale, only you'll know that for sure, some of our listeners, and I hope you would call in on that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But the thought was, if you could have bone marrow soup, it could uh, potentially not only... uh, Create a situation where the rheumatic fever would not take its toll on your body at such a young age, but might actually cure you too. Bone marrow soup. So my uncle Steve, through marriage, he had grown up in Detroit in an orphanage. Uh, uh, he was a brewmaster at Stroh's there and then came to New York City where he got a job in uh, Bushwick. He became a brewmaster for the Rheingold Brewery. Uh, the Schaefer Brewery uh, up there in Williamsburg. Uh, so he had a good craft. And during the Depression, he actually worked in a brewery in Patterson, New Jersey, where it was very difficult to come up with any kind of work in the city and other places. Patterson seemed to have a pretty booming economy, not just in terms of the, uh, the uh, brewery, but also because it was Silk City, the... Uh, the uh, uh, what 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 can we call it? the fabric and dye factories that permeated the whole area of uh, Patterson, New Jersey? So he would go out there every day and work at that brewery. He'd go through the uh, Hudson uh, tubes, take the train out there, and so he was the breadwinner of the family. So my aunt Mary, who's like a second mother to me and the oldest sister of my mother, Francesca, told her. Her husband, Steve, go to the butcher shop, see if he could get some bones from Paulie Castellano, and we'll make the bone marrow soup and try to treat uh, Fran- Francesca that way. And he did it. And when he walked in, he asked uh, Paulie Castellano, who was uh, not only the butcher, but in charge of the uh, butcher shop there on 92nd and Avenue L in Canarsie, hey, is it okay if I buy some of those bones, those uh, bones that you've already boned out, I'd like to have it for my niece. She's in need of bone marrow soup. So Paulie Castellano said, why should I give you the bones? And my Uncle Steve said, no, no, I'll pay for the bones. He said, I don't care. You don't have enough money in the world to pay for these bones. And so my Uncle Steve said, what are you talking about? He goes, look, the rendering plant comes by and picks up my bones and the fat and the excess And uh, they pay me a pretty penny for that, especially the bones, because they can use it to make um, they can use it to make gunpowder. And I can make a hell of a lot more selling it for gunpowder than I can from you. And he goes, no, 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 I'll make I'll make your day. I'll make it worthwhile to you. And so Paulie Castellano just shut him down and said, absolutely not. Oh, that was like uh, the desire for vengeance was strong at that particular point. We'll continue on with that story because uh, clearly uh, my uncles who are gathering up, they wanted to give a royal beatdown to to a guy who clearly they felt was uh, breaking all the rules. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. 77 WABC News. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Talk Radio 77 WABC Arena Cosby Show. I don't blame the migrants. Let's get this straight. I don't blame them. I think America is the greatest country in the world, and I'd be rushing to come here, too, if I had a choice. It is such a great place, and if I heard, gosh, I can get a nice hotel room, a cushy one, I can get food service, I can get all the free cell phones, you bet I'd take it up, and I don't blame them. Listen to the Arena Cosby Show, weeknights at 10, Talk Radio 77 WABC. This fast-paced world, not everyone has 30 minutes to listen to an entire podcast. So we created the 77 WABC minicast. It's topical, it's informative, and entertaining. And it's only 10 minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The 77 WABC minicast. The facts you need in only 10 New York minutes. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. So again, I'm looking at this copy of the advance... From Friday, Staten Island advance, and apparently Frank Morano of the South Shore Tottenville has put in a bid for the mansion uh, of Paulie Castellano, which uh, is in Tote Hill, oversees uh, Staten Island at its highest point. In fact, that's the highest point in the city, believe it or not, in all of the five boroughs of the city of New York. The highest point is Tote Hill. And you can see the Verrazano Bridge. You can see the plank from there. So the the bid starts at $17 million, and Frank Morano has put in a bid for that. Yours truly, the Frankster. I don't think it was Pete Davidson, who used to be the king of Staten Island. They made the movie out of him. He's opening up Saturday Night Live. I think it's actually in uh, 24 hours. But uh, he fled. He's in Beverly Hills now getting into uh, traffic accidents like every other month. But he did the hop, skip, and a jump. He left his mother's uh, basement. He was a real mama Luke. Moved to the North Shore along Bay Street in one of those new condos. Then decided, I'm getting out of here. This is just too much crime. Goes to Brooklyn Heights and then moves to Beverly Hills. And you know the rest of the story there. He's got no protection. No, no, none whatsoever. And he keeps getting into accidents. Staten Island would have protected him. So now we're at the uh, time where Paulie Castellano is the capo di tutti. Everyone is paying tribute to him. But now you got the Gambino wing of the Gotti crime family that is really upset with him because the guy they wanted to be the capo di tutti was uh, Delacroach. He died of cancer in December of 1985. And there were three things that occurred, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, that basically guaranteed that John Gotti Sr. was going to seal the death warrant for Paulie Castellano. He failed to attend Delacroce's wake. 
That was an, in, an insult to the Della Croce family and his many followers. Secondly, Castellano named his bodyguard. That was Thomas Bellotti as a new underboss. A Castellano loyalist, Bellotti was a brutish loan shark with little of the diplomatic skill required as an under underboss. But Castellano figured, hey, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to start breaking up uh, Gotti's crew here on this. Gravano suggested killing both Castellano and Bellotti while they were eating breakfast at a nearby diner. diner. However, when uh, De Chico tipped Gotti off that he would have be having a meeting with Castellano and several other Gambino mobsters at Sparks Steakhouse on December 16th, Gotti was all ears. That's uh, senior, not junior. <sighs> then on Monday, December 16, 1985, Bellotti drives Castellano to the prearranged early meeting at Sparks Steakhouse in Manhattan on East 46th and 3rd. A hit team consisting of Salvador Scala, Edward Lino and Joe Carniglia wait near the restaurant entrance before the uh, backup team arrives with backup shooters Dominic Pizzonia, Angelo Ruggiero, and Tony Rampino. Gotti and Gravino observe the scene from a car across the street. So it's the perfect setup, absolutely the perfect setup. And then all of a sudden at 526... The gunman runs up and shoots several times out at the uh, DA, uh, and uh, he's pretty much dead on arrival. He was shot and killed right there. Meantime, the Archdiocese of New York refused to grant Castellano a Catholic funeral, citing his notorious life and death. So he had to be uh, buried in... uh, Another cemetery, a secular cemetery, or somewhat secular, not as religious uh, as he was used to, right there uh, near New Dorp High School. That's incredible. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And um, after that, Gotti had a meeting with the different capos in a basement uh, somewhere in Manhattan. They voted him to be the new uh, Don, the new head of all heads. And... uh, that just pitched, pissed off uh, Vinny the Chin Giganti, head of the Genovese crime family. He wanted to kill Gotti so bad because he hadn't gotten permission from the commission to whack Big Paulie Castellano. And so he was pissed, and he tried to get Lucchese crime family boss Anthony Corallo to kill Gotti. On April 13th, 1986, a car bomb meant for Gotti exploded outside of Bensoner's Social Club, but the only casualty was Frank DeChico, not Frank Morano. And this is interesting. No one else was ever charged in the Castellano murder. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. My number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Giuseppe, Joey in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, Joe. Uh, uh, Curtis, how you doing? Good to speak to you. Hey, I, years ago I worked in that house uh, to let you know, and that picture that's in that paper is not the way it was originally, if you know that. 
Uh, explain that. Explain that. Okay. If you're looking at the house that's looking in the picture right now, on the left side where you see those three windows, that they weren't there. That was the garage where he had his Cadillac, actually. And that right side was not there, if you could picture. It was just that middle part of the house, all right, because I did the heating, air conditioning, and the boiler in there. I, I worked for a company, FJR, on Staten Island, who did that. So that house wasn't that big. It wasn't that how that looked. And, uh, and Paulie, where he sat and I had coffee with him, his wife made the tea and everything. He had a table, like, right in the middle. And when they bugged him, that, that where they put that bug in, it wasn't like in that living room there, uh, that dining room, whatever you want to call it. But it was when I looked at the picture, I said, wow, they expanded on that house. So now, when you, were, when you were sitting down and having new tots at the cafe, a cup of coffee and ubisquet with uh, Big Poli Castellano, what was that like? Well, here's the thing. When I I was the only one other than my boss John, uh, who was allowed in the house after the house was built. So when you when I sat down, you know, in the beginning when they were building it, we'd sit down on the floor having lunch, and he'd walk in. Everybody kind of like knew, but uh, you know, I was younger at the time too. Well, not that young. Uh, but sitting down with him, he, he was he. I mean, you knew who he was, but I wasn't nervous because I was there to do a job. I was there, uh, my boss, John, and we talk over, you know, hey, the heat wasn't working in that room, what was going on. And then uh, he was cordial. His wife was there, and also his maid was downstairs. She was down there, Gloria. She lived downstairs uh, near the pool table. But uh, it was a pretty interesting thing sitting down with him and we just talked i mean not briefly my boss did most of the talking hmm. and but his wife was really nice but uh Bilotti was a hard nose because big paul as they call them mr Castellano, i call him i had to go up to his bedroom one day just to check something with the heating unit and Bilotti, he he just got into my face like where are you going i go and you know i wasn't scared but i'm like uh excuse me i gotta go upstairs he followed me up there and Bilotti, Bilotti was a, a, a hard nose. He had a brother, too. But but uh, it was pretty interesting sitting there. But, yeah, I was looking at that house, though. That's not how it was originally. They didn't have the pool inside or outside. The dog was buried in the back, and his daughter's bedroom was upstairs. It was pretty neat talking to him, though. It, that's my, I guess, claim to fame. Now, uh, with big uh, Paulie Castellano's house, they referred to as the White House in Toad right. Hill, how was it decorated on the inside? How would you describe it? Well, I know perfectly how it was when you walked into the front door. And it's God's honest truth. Uh, you walk in the door, the, scare, the staircase going up to the top floor stares you right in the face, okay? And then when you kind of like go around, it, that's when that big long table was like where he ate. You go upstairs, uh, and to the right was Connie. His daughter was named, I believe it was Connie. I believe, I, I could be wrong, her bedroom was on the right side. Paul's, Mr. Castellano's bedroom was on the top left, and the wife's was in the front. And from the and there was another bedroom on the top right, and there was a long corridor in the front of the house that went from that one bedroom to the left to the right, I guess, whatever. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and he had cameras in the bedroom. This is God's honest truth. In his bedroom, 
in the back left, he had cameras that were surveillance in his bedroom there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was pretty interesting being in the house and working in it. But he was very cordial. And oh, there was another thing. He owned, don't forget, he had dial poultry in Brooklyn that, that you know that I'm talking about. Yes. Yes, he had dial poultry, and we worked in there. And his two sons who lived in that area, Joe and, geez, you might know, the, the, who was the other bro- sons? It was Joe and... Peter, I don't know. Yeah, well, the only one uh, I ever had heard about was Peter. Uh, Peter and Joe. Uh, right. They were the two brothers. And they sat, when we used to go to Dial Poultry in Brooklyn, my boss and I, to work in there, they just had a little room on the side. And they just sat in, in desk that obviously was uh, whatever. But we worked in Dial Poultry also. But, uh, but I mean, when Mr. Castellano, and then later on I was able to go there by myself after – he was cool with me. I used to go there by myself, knock on the front door. How you doing, Mrs. Castellano? I need just to check the boilers out or uh, mostly the boilers downstairs. And uh, he would be there. How you doing? But then I'd go downstairs, big wine cellar in the back. But he was not. It, it was cool because that's like, well, cool if you want to call. He was uh, whatever he was. But, sure, sure. Yeah, but, but don't you look? You had access there. Now, yeah. uh, be yeah, honest. Uh, be honest with me, uh, Joe. I'm reading in uh, today's, actually Friday's, uh, Staten Island Advance. Right. And uh, they're asking upwards of 17 million for that mansion. Uh, Frank Morano, believe it or not, <laughs> the Mama Luke has put in a bid in the advance <laughs> to buy that uh, the White House there at Toad Hill. <laughs> I, uh, I, he, he makes he makes that much. Well, if he makes that much on on your station, you, you, nothing against him. You should make double then. I mean, how much money is he making? Well, he thinks he thinks he's he's going to buy it virtually. He's got some kind of a scam figured out no, that he's no. going to be able to buy it virtually. No. Well, he's delusional. But, uh, <laughs> But anyway, listen, that, that's that's how that setup was there. And meeting him a few times, again, I was just a worker, an HVAC guy. He was cordial with me, really cool. Uh, but other than that, I knew who he was and everything. But it didn't bother me because, again, I was just a worker. I was just a regular worker, and um, that's it. But that's how that house was. His dog was buried in the backyard to the right side. When you look, he buried one of his dogs in the back. Uh, he had the pool tables downstairs with pictures of him and Sinatra. Uh, had the wine cellar in the back. The boiler room was still. Yeah, this is all stuff that. Telling you, I, I just, I cannot for the life of me imagine where Frank thinks that he's got a solid no, bid. Well, Frank's delusional. Yeah, no sleep for the Frankster. <laughs> he said it was mine. He's probably going to look take cardboard cutouts of it and. Yeah, no, no, he's he's, up, he's obsessed. He's obsessed. <laughs> they, they they did a little uh, piece on the in the advance. They said the first really, guy yeah. up uh, making a bid yeah. on it was Frank Morano, and I said, really, seventeen mil. Where the hell would he get money like that from? It's I didn't madness. read that. I saw. Uh, it's I didn't see it in the. Nah, well, he's. I saw it in the post up here because I get the post over here in Pennsylvania, and that's why where I saw the story, you know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, seventeen million. Well, he built that just for a couple million years ago. That's what it was back then, maybe three million the most. Seventeen million, Frank. Don't well, well, 
I don't know. Well, unless you got a vig, unless you went in his partners, <laughs> you never know. Well, I use my right yeah. hand for a great deal. Yeah, I'll bet you will. But anyway, I do appreciate it. I do appreciate the memories hey, that you shared with you. us, Giuseppe. And thank you for your guardian angels. I used to go to Times Square years ago, and you, you, your 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 crew was always there. Was always a a, a, a presence. There we go. And we appreciate New Yorkers appreciate what the guardian angels do. Thank you, thank you, Giuseppe. Okay. Thank you. So as you can see, Broadway Bill Lee. Our callers don't think that Frank Morano has a shot in uh, heaven or hell in being able to make a bid on the White House in Toad Hill. You should go suck an egg, as far as I'm concerned. He's obsessed with thinking that he's going to get this. There's just no way. It's no way. $17 million. You got to probably produce at least half of it in cash. The other half, you know, you get a mortgage from the bank. Well, he's got no credit. They all know that he goes to the Borgata in Atlantic City. He shoots dice and he loses his shirt. Oh, God. Man. Now, interesting, no one has ever been charged in the Castellano murder. So you had uh, Gotti Sr. and his guys hanging around outside, and then they whacked him, and they whacked Tommy Pilate. And then uh, in about a week, uh, they were summoned to a meeting, and uh, Gotti was formally uh, made the head of uh, the Gambino organized crime family, only to be eventually... uh, made the head of all of the families of organized crime, which uh, Vinny, the uh, Giganti, objected to, and then tried to have uh, Gotti whacked with a car bomb in a Cadillac, except uh, it didn't get Gotti. It got the Chico. Uh, So that didn't satisfy Vinny the Chin at all. Man alive. There is no way that Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, is going to be able to afford that White House Toad Hill. And yet, he said, hold your horses. I put a bid on it. It's in the newspaper. He's going to take out full-page ads and make a jerk out of himself, talking about how he's a good neighbor and how he's more than happy to buy the estate, pay off the money, and they'll never be allowed back on the uh, the compound again. I find that difficult to believe, uh you Mama Luke, unbelievable, unbelievable. Anyway, up next, we're going to go from the uh, sublime to the ridiculous. As once again, when all else fails, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, makes references to God, to Hashem, to Allah, to a higher spirit. But he always attempts to do that because... His mission is to try to get the Holy Rollers to think, you know, when I run for re-election for mayor, I'm a man who's closest to God. I'm the guy who can guide this ship. I'm the guy who can salvage uh, our operation out of these very choppy waters. And he couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And, oh, boy, when we come back, get ready to get on your knees and say some prayers. And it ain't for Israel. It's for Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, 
who is uh, mayor of the uh, illegal aliens. There's no other way of describing them. I'm not going to call them migrants. I'm not going to call them uh, asylum seekers. I'm not going to call them green card holders. To me, they are illegal aliens. Do with it what you might, NYPD, but the pressure is on to recognize what is, is. This is New York's Check this out. On the Weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on Another Side of Midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Now I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come, and I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, I've been smiling lately. Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Cause out on the edge of darkness There is a peace train Or oh, peace train Take this country Come take me home again Yeah, I've been smiling lately Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun. Oh, peace train sounding louder. Ah, there's a reason I come in with Cat Stevens' Peace Train. In fact, all the songs this hour are going to be by Cat Stevens, who uh, converted in 1977, having been born in England. I mean, he sold a hundred million records. Hundred million records. He came out of a family, Greek Orthodox family. His dad, uh, who originally came from Greek Cyprus, 1969. Cat uh, Stevens himself came down with a very serious case of tuberculosis, almost incurable for him. He almost died, and vowed when he came back that he would dedicate himself to his craft music. And I'm thinking of this now, like 1969, Cat Stevens in England had tuberculosis, and we now have the Department of New York City's Health Department describing how we are in an emergency situation with a number of tuberculosis cases that are being reported in the hospital system, the municipal hospital system of New York City. And we haven't had tuberculosis cases of late was almost to the point where it didn't exist, and now it's come back with a vengeance? Well, what's the only reason? The illegal aliens coming across the border, none of whom have had medical checks, none of whom have been vaccinated, none of whom are regulated or followed or bagged and tagged, none of that. So they could be spreading it like wildfire. Let me just tell you, if you go out to Creedmoor... In East in Queens, where they have 800 single able bodied young men with nowhere to go and nothing to do but hang out across the street all day, smoke weed, drink cerveza, 
and just start getting involved in roaming the neighborhood, supposedly looking for cans and bottles um, to turn it for the nickel deposits. But a lot of people think they're just casing uh, homes, of which there are many single, uh, single family and two-family houses in the area to eventually do home invasions. But let me not digress. We'll get back to that momentarily. But I will tell you this. You end up with any of these young men with tuberculosis. And now that it's getting colder, they start uh, hacking and coughing uh, within the tent. That tuberculosis is going to spread like wildfire. I myself have had latent tuberculosis for five years. That's from spending a lot of time in the colonias of Libertad and Juarez in Tijuana when we were patrolling that area because uh, there were border bandits. Uh, This was before there was any fence, any technology to block you from entering the country across the border. People were just walking across from Tijuana into the San Ysidro Canyons, oftentimes led by coyotes. They'd assemble in the soccer field before dusk. Uh, The vendors would come around and sell them Fernando Venezuela uh, shirts, throwback jerseys of the Los Angeles Dodgers because they thought the next stop they'd be going is Los Angeles. And then they would bum rush as soon as it was dark. And guess who the border bandits were, uh, Bill Lee, Broadway Billy? They were the off-duty Tijuana police who didn't even change clothes. They were wearing the windbreakers that said Tijuana police when they would hold them up in the canyons at gunpoint. It was a udiscraziada. Back then, Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, they would try to tackle the illegals when they would come across the border. They would catch them. And then uh, process them, photograph them, fingerprint them, put them on a lime green bus, send them four miles into the Mexican border, and catch and release, and naturally they come back and do it over and over and over again. But in this case, where Cat Stevens was now selling a hundred million records, a hundred million records, one of the all-time great sellers of records and producers of records. He decided in 1977 that was it. He's out of the music business. He converted to Yusuf Islam, hardcore Shia, follower of the Ayatollah Khomeini in Tehran. And in 1989, when the Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa against Salman Rushdie for writing the Satanic Verses, he agreed with the fatwa. He said, if given the chance... He would deliver on that promise and kill Salman Rushdie. Speed it up. 2006, he comes back. He's touring. And it's almost as if that time where he convert, converted to radical Islam had not occurred. He was on the no-fly list. It caused him all kinds of problems for a while. But, boy, you talk about up, down, all around. Here's a guy who was a conventional uh, folk singer, then converted to uh, Shia, severe form of Shia, uh, the Muslim faith. Uh, Wanted to uh, whack Salman Rushdie, if he could, for writing satanic verses, uh, following up on the fatwa issued by the Ayatollah Khomeini in uh, Tehran, and then goes back to being a rockabilly. You try to figure that out. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But I'm telling you, Broadway Billy, it's time that you get down on your knees and join me 
Because we don't understand how we really have to thank God. Eric Adams is our mayor now to take us through this time of great duress. He took us through COVID-19. He took us through the crisis of asylum seekers. Now he's taking us through the crisis. God only knows elements that exist amongst us that do, would do harm to Jewish institution and Jewish, Jewish religious practices. I know you don't like to admit it, but I know you get on your knees and pray every night. Thank God Eric is the mayor of our city. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with him? Can I hear that again? I know you don't like to admit it. But I know you get on your knees and pray every night. Thank God Eric is the mayor of our city. <laughs> is that true, ladies and gentlemen? Is this guy in such uh, adoration of himself? I don't know who's worse, him or Sid Rosenberg, in terms of self-congratulatory praise, which means usually you have low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. 1-800-848-9222. Then at a press conference uh, a day ago, uh, he was asked a question by a reporter, why are you out there collecting so much money to run for re-election as mayor? Sometimes two fundraisers a day in the middle of a crisis that you have partially brought on to the city because you've rolled out the red carpet for the illegal aliens. Every challenger is formidable. You don't discount anyone when you run in a campaign. That's anyone who does that is foolish to do so. Now, hold on a second. Uh, I got to hear that one more time. So uh, enough for the Cat Stevens here, because I got to hear this concisely, crisply. Did he say that? Every campaign is a formidable challenge. Can, can I hear that again, please? Every challenger is formidable. You don't discount anyone when you run in a campaign. That's anyone who does that is foolish to do so. Well, now, wait a second. I ran against him the last time for mayor I lost. It's not what he said about me recently. Any time you start out a question with the name Curtis Sliwa, that in itself states that it would do a disservice to me and other New Yorkers for me to even respond that. Curtis Sliwa? I mean, I mean, if you go look in a dictionary for the word buffoon and tell me what picture you come up with. <laughs> now, how can I be a formidable candidate and a buffoon, too, at the same time? That's why this guy, from one day to the next, says things that contradict what he just said. I know you don't like to admit it, but I know you get on your knees and pray every night. Thank God Eric is the mayor of our city. <laughs> Bull feathers. Bull feathers. Is that true, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Right now, I need to get down on my knees and pray. But not thanking God that Eric Adams is mayor. I need my Gregorian chant, please. Because I want to get very spiritual now. I want to really tear away this veneer of secularism 
get into religiosity. Because when I think of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, I don't think of a secular mayor. I think of a man who is attached like an appendage to godlike messaging. Religiosity, no doubt about it. In fact, uh, if I could, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, it's time for us to get the spirit. Got to get the spirit. But before we get to the spirit, we got to thank God. Eric Adams is mayor now in our time of need. I know you don't like to admit it, but I know you get on your knees and pray every night. Thank God Eric is the mayor of our city. (laughs) Padre Filium, Spiritus Santum. Oh, I want to walk with that spirit. I want to. I want to be in that uh, that that gaze of God Himself. And if Eric has that, I want that too. I walk in the spirit of God. I talk in the spirit of God. Thirty-five years ago, I set my GPS, my God position and satellite, and I've been on one course and one destination. How come I don't have a GPS God positioning system? Did God run out of GPSs? Ladies and gentlemen, do any of you have a GPS, a God positioning system? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But... You're imperfect. You've said that over and over. You've proven that time and time again, Eric Adams. You are imperfect. I am the perfectly imperfect child of God that shows the power of God. You are the what? What was that again? What the hell is he talking about? I am the perfectly imperfect child of God that shows the power of God. Well, wait a second. Maybe that's why you ended up calling all of us crackers. Every day in the police department, I kicked those crackers' ass, man. I was unbelievable. See? See, he is imperfect, Broadway Billy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I am the perfectly imperfect child of God that shows the power of God. We ain't disagreeing. Every day in the police department, I kicked those crackers' ass, man. I was unbelievable. We ain't disagreeing. You got away with that. Your complexion is your protection. Thirty-something years ago, I woke up out of my sleep in a cold sweat. God spoke to my heart and said, you are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. And the message was, God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Yes. Because yes. when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you who you are. Amen. Amen. I hear it. I I need to hear that spirituality one more time. 30 years ago, I'm trying to remember, God never contacted me because I don't sleep. You see, that's the problem. I never sleep. If only I had been getting eight hours of sleep a night, God would have woke me up and would have said, hey, the black man... He took a pass on my offer to him. He thought I was crazy to say that in 30 years, you white boy, 
you're going to be mayor on January 1st, 2022. 30-something years ago, I woke up in my sleep, out of my sleep in a cold sweat. God spoke to my heart and said, you are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. And the message was... God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Because when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you who you are. We don't. We know, Eric Adams. We have No, no, we don't. I'm assuring you. Amen. Amen, God. Thank you. Thank you for for making Eric Adams mayor now in this this time of our great need, in this time of our crisis. And as I move closer and closer, God said, write in your journal everything that you see that needs to be fixed in the city. And every night before going to bed, I make another entry in my journal. Now we buy that bull feathers. Hold on a sec. He's partying till the break of dawn, right? He's partying hardy. He's the nightlife man. He's a swagger man with no plan. And we're supposed to believe that after drinking his uh, Tino taco, whatever the hell, vodka, Tito, whatever, that he goes home, (laughs) wherever home is, and he first says a prayer to God right down on his knees, right? You know, praise God. Praise God! And... As I move closer and closer, God said, write in your journal everything that you see that needs to be fixed in the city. And every night before going to bed, I make another entry in my journal. Oh, God. You need a Encyclopedia Britannica worth of paper to write down everything that's in need of help here in New York City. Padre Filium Spiritu Santum. Oh, God. Oh, God, are we in trouble? <laughs> I know you don't like to admit it, but I know you get on your knees and pray every night. Thank God Eric is the mayor of our city. <laughs> no, no, I, I pray. God, please. Well, why, did you, why did you make him mayor of our city? What did we do to deserve this? I thought God, God was a kind person. God was an embracing person. How cruel of you to give us Eric Adams. Can't can't we get a rebate? 30-something years ago. The hell, 30 years ago? He he didn't wake me up in a cold sweat. 30-something years ago, I woke up out of my sleep in a cold sweat. Oh, God. God spoke to my heart and said... You are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. Mm, mm. And the message was, God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Oh yeah. Because when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you who you are. Whatever the hell that means. <laughs> Padre Filium Spiritus Santum. 
Broadway Billy, we got to conjure up that time that he says that he is an incompetent person. Totally incompetent. Remember, it's the one thing we actually agree with him when he speaks. Because, you know, he speaks in tongues. He's up on that stage. The reverend's there. The crowd is swaying. The choir singing. And then he has to speak truth to power. And his $5,000 customized suit, not a thread of cotton in it. All silk, man. I am the perfectly imperfect child of God that shows the power of God. How the hell does he do that? That ain't what I'm looking for, man. You I got- think that you've had a lot of mayors that did the waltz. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I do the boogaloo, a salsa. <laughs> you know? What the hell is the boogaloo? Does that I think be- that... You've had a lot of mayors that did the waltz. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I do the boogaloo, a salsa. <laughs> you know? Does that mean we get bamboozled? And people have the audacity to say to me that being the mayor of the city of New York is the second most difficult job in politics. You know what I tell them? I tell them, when does the hard part start? Because mm. let me tell you what hard is. Hard as picking cotton. Oh, God. From sunup to sundown, giving birth on the field, and going back to pick cotton some more. Where the hell did he get that from? He don't even have cotton in his $5,000 suit. Every day in the police department, I kicked those crackers' ass, man. I was unbelievable. Yeah, we know. But your complexion is your protection. Oh my God! We should we should have the best of Eric Adams, you know, all the best cuts that relate to his own incompetence, his own. Uh, oh, he's not impotent, that's for sure. The way he's chasing those ladies around, my guy, he's got a harem now chasing him. Oh yeah. We enforce these elements in these rules. No more smoking. No more doing drugs. No more sleeping. No more doing barbecues on the subway system. No more just doing whatever you want. <laughs> No, those days are over. Really? You got to look at my Facebook page, ladies and gentlemen. It's 5 o'clock at night. It's Thursday, this past Thursday night, rush hour. I'm taking the number two train uptown. It's packed. Uh, got to go up to Riverdale. Had to help the people there uh, on Waldo fight off the fact that they want to turn that former Manhattan College dorm into a migrant resource center. We had a great meeting But on the way up to 96th Street, this black guy is laying down on the floor of the number two train, staring straight up, and I'm having a conversation with him, and the guy can't even talk. you got to look at this video. You will die laughing. And everybody in that car is looking at me and saying, yeah, yeah, you see see what he's doing? He's going up to that guy. The mayor would never do that. Of course not. He's got a $5,000 customized suit, all silk, no cotton. God. Some of the uh, websites and the partnerships between the smugglers, the smugglers are using uh, innocent people to smuggle drugs up and threatening them with their lives. So there's a law enforcement component uh, to this initiative, and we're looking to assign a NYPD detective uh, down to Columbia like we have them assigned across the globe for terrorists. Oh, we know who that'll be. 
out of town, Police Commissioner Eddie Kavan, who's in Qatar. Guy just became police commissioner. He's already out of town going on junkets. Sort of like uh, the uh, correctional uh, chief, Molina. He went away for two weeks with his staff on a junket that we paid for to uh, the U.K. and France. What the hell does that have to do with corrections? Ah, I'm so disappointed. Is he laughing with us or is he laughing at us, Broadway Billy? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Padre, Fili, Espiritu Santo. Let's go to Nick in Massachusetts. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Nick. Hey, how you doing, Curtis? It's a pleasure to talk to you and an honor as well. That guy's a bum, insane, uh, or charlatan. Doesn't make a difference. Should not be the mayor of New York City. Hey, Curtis, I, the reason I called you was you mentioned Cat <laughs> uh, Stevens. There was a group called Coldplay. They had a song, Viva La Vida. And there was a musician, Joe Satriani. He sued them. Okay, so they settled out of court. Then Cat Stevens appears and says, hey, not for nothing, I, I wrote those that same melody, you know, back in the late 60s, something like that. Okay, I took it easy, but I'm not suing. I'll tell you why he's not suing. I'm in church one day, St. Michael's in Avon, Massachusetts. We're praying for someone to get well, me and my wife. There's a hymn they're playing, written in late 1800s, and I'm sorry, I can't remember. It might be a German Christian hymn, possibly Catholic. I'm listening to it. My wife looks at me like I'm insane. And I said, she says, what's wrong with you? I said, I have to explain to you later. That, that hit was, I'm not a musician, but the melody, right? He entirely ripped off. I heard his version of that song that he said that he wrote first, right? The melody was totally ripped off from that hymn. That's the kind of guy that guy is, Curtis. Hey, thank you very much. And wow. please keep up doing your work. When you run for mayor, I will send you money, bub. Oh, well, oh, oh, money is, uh, you know, the, the, the root of all evil, but the milk of politics. Thank you, Nick. Massachusetts. Oh, wow. Coldplay. Oh, that's, that's Nancy's, one of Nancy's favorite groups. You know that one where they come out, they do the video, and they're dressed like orangutans, and they're dancing there. I think a little Beyonce action in that. Know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, that oh that is so good. Coldplay saw them at the Super Bowl halftime show. You know, with a thousand kids running out there. Ah, Coldplay. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we dedicate this to Nancy and the 18 rescue cats. Yeah, they're all meowing as we speak. Led by the matriarch Athena and the patriarch Apollo.
Side of Midnight, 77 WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Not time to make a change. Just relax, take it easy. You're still young, that's your fault. There's so much you have to know. Find a girl, settle down. If you want, you can marry. Look at me, I am old, but I'm happy. Was once like you are now And I know that it's not easy To be calm When you found something going on But take your time Think a lot Why think of everything you've got For you will still be here tomorrow But your dreams may not Can I try to explain When I do He turns away again It's always Been the same Same old story From the moment I could talk I was ordered To listen Now there's a way And I know That I have to go away I know Whenever I'd hear that, it would remind me of my father speaking with me, Chester, how he'd have to go away to sail at sea, merchant seaman, 54 years old. At the time when I first heard this song, it was Cat Stevens. Then, 1977, he converts to the most radical form of Shia... Muslim faith and becomes Yusuf Islam and signs on to the fatwa issued against Salman Rushdie by the Ayatollah Khomeini in Tehran for writing satanic verses in 1989. And then we saw what happened to Salman Rushdie about a year ago, remember, outside of Buffalo at that literary conference where some crazed Iranian living in New Jersey got up on the stage and impaled him and almost took out his eye and injured him severely. We haven't seen him since. Then in 2006, Yusef Salam, make that Islam, goes back out on tour singing these songs. Like, being Yusef Islam never occurred. It's like, what? What are you talking about? A hundred million records sold. The son of a Greek Orthodox dad who was born in Greek Cyprus. And in 1969, Cat Stevens had such a severe case 
of tuberculosis. They didn't think he would survive. 1969. You remember the summer of Woodstock, the Miracle Mets, the New York Knicks defeating the L.A. Lakers for the NBA championship. First man on the moon. You remember all that, 1969. And we came full circle. And now we're dealing with tuberculosis in our city, an all-time record highs in the past few decades. And we can't even get the Department of Health of the city of New York to admit it's because of all the illegal aliens that have come through our front door in the past year into New York City. No medical checks, no background checks, no vaccinations. Well, of course. And having been in some of the tents that were erected to house these single, able-bodied, illegal alien men with nowhere to go and nothing to do, a military age, if any of them do have tuberculosis and they start hacking and coughing as it gets colder now, it's already doing such, it's going to spread like wildfire in those tents. Spread like wildfire in those tents. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's uh, Tony in Manhattan. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Yes, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of the Holy I have a favor from you. Only you can help me. I was a happy teenager in San Juan, but Jesus told me, Tony, go to Manhattan. You're going to be the governor of New York. What happened, Keris? Nothing happened. Who told you, Tony, to leave the island of Puerto Rico and come to New York? Yeah, because you're going to be the mayor. You're going to be something big there. Now, now hold on a second, Tony. Hold on. Eric Adams got the call first from God 30 years ago. 30 years ago, he was laying in his bed in a cold sweat. 30-something years ago, I woke up. In my sleep, out of my sleep in a cold sweat. <laughs> so, Tony, how could it be that you, God, called upon you to come to New York because I would be mayor, and then he makes a call to Eric Adams telling him something completely different? Oh, well, maybe because of, You know why? Maybe because I am Puerto Rican. Ah, Puerto Ricano. Si. Now, are you sure, Tony, you weren't a hibaro up in the hills of Puerto Rico wearing those high waters? Yo soy un hibaro de la montaña, from the mountains. Ah. And uh, what town were you from, Tony? Ciales, Ciales, Puerto Rico. Now, wait. Ciales is what I take when all of a sudden I am flaccid, flaccid and I need to be turgid. Do you remember Manatee? You know where Manatee is? Next to Manatee, Cialis. Man, that went right over your head. Cialis, Levitra, Viagra. You get it, Tony? Arecibo. Arriba! Vaya! Viva Libre Puerto Rico! God. You know what I said? God bless America and God bless the Holy Land. Yes, and God bless Puerto Ricans who are American by birth, no matter where they are born, whether overseas, in the Commonwealth, or here on the mainland. That's why I love you guys, because you know everything. You are the only one. You're supposed to be the mayor here, my boy. That's right. You're right, Tony. I should have been the mayor. And in fact, but don't worry, it's not going to be 20 years. It's going to be three years when you, Tony Melendez, said, 
you're going to be the mayor. Oh, wait a second. In fact, you might be right because he said, you know, uh, that he's got to raise money because he's going to have a formidable challenger. Every challenger is formidable. You don't discount anyone when you run in a campaign. That's anyone who does that is foolish to do so. Now, Tony, he says that, and then a week later, he says that I'm a freaking buffoon. <laughs> you know what? You got everybody backing you. Oh my God! You don't know how. You don't know how much power do you have here. You don't know because you are involved in everything. you start out a question with the name Curtis Sliwa. That in itself states that it would do a disservice to me and other New Yorkers for me to even respond that. Curtis Sliwa? I mean, I mean, if you go look in a dictionary for the word buffoon and tell me what picture you come up with. <laughs> I got a song. I have a good song for you. Yes. Yes, Tom. It's, it's a serious song. This is my song, and I love this song. Okay. Bing Crosby sing that song that says, don't, don't, don't slap me in, something like that. So Bing Crosby. Don't fence me in. Don't fence me in. Don't fence me in, Bing Crosby. Yes, and the Andrew sisters. This is you. This is, I see you every time I hear that song. Now, don't now, hold on, hold on. Hold on. So Bing Crosby with the Andrew sisters, don't fence me in. Well, it's a patio one. It's about the country. Listen to it for a while. Oh, I will, I will. But, you know, he beat his son up. Um, I, well, he took his belt off. He kept beating his son up. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll listen to the song, Tony. But Bing Crosby used to beat his son up. Hmm. And I just played that song by Cat Stevens, Father and Son. Oh, Tony, Tony. I, I'm getting nauseous here. I'm getting nauseous. Oh. You're gonna be the mayor. Don't worry. Oh, I won't. I won't. I won't worry. I, I won't worry, Tony. Tony says that he came out of the mountains of Puerto Rico from Cialis, having nothing to do with Levitra and Viagra and Cialis. No, he came out of the mountains of Hibaro. He was wearing those high waters, and then he came to New York City, and he was. He was driven to come because God, God had commanded him. He had to come to New York City because Curtis Sliwa would be mayor. But I don't know how that it can all be possible that God would forget that he had spoken to Eric Adams 30 years ago, woke him up in a cold sweat. 30-something years ago, I woke up out of my sleep in a cold sweat. What, what the hell did God tell you? Something years ago, I woke up in my out of my sleep in a cold sweat. God spoke to my heart and said, "You are going to be the mayor, January first, 2022." And the message was, God stated, "You cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know, because it's in Judges seven verse." Two through seven oh, moments. Yeah. Because when you seven. win the battle, yeah. I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you, who you are. Eric Adams bested Curtis Sliwa in this city's 2021 mayoral race. That city is New York City. Hmm. 
I think God was talking to Tony from Puerto Rico in Spanish instead of English. That's how the wires got crossed. Tony swears that he came to New York specifically because God commanded him to come out of the, the, the mountains of Puerto Rico, the rainforest, the hibaro that he was, with his machete in his hand, to come to New York City because soon there would be a guy, some Italian-Polish guy wearing a red beret out of Canarsie, Brooklyn, who would become the mayor of the city of New York. Oh, my God. Somehow the wires got crossed there. What the hell could that have been? I don't Oh, oh. promised you we would take you to the break of dawn. The rain's new fall, sunlit from heaven, like the first dew fall on the first grass. Praise for the sweetness of the red garden, sprung singing great songs like this, suddenly supporting jihad and supporting the fatwa issued by the Ayatollah Khomeini against the author of Satanic versus Salman Rushdie. How do you go? How do you flip the script and then all of a sudden go back to being a performer Almost like 10 years later. It's like incredible. What a roller coaster ride. Thank God he finally got away from that madness. But that shows you what's happening in the Middle East as we speak between Israel 
its enemies, in this case, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Fatah, no matter who it may be. But we had our own demons, we had our own enemies earlier this morning when we came on the air at 12. It was chaotic, it was hectic. We were the victims of a cyber attack. I now can say conclusively, with absolutely certainty, even though I have no documentary evidence, that we were targeted for a cyber attack. And I think I know why. Because I have consistently, in this thing of ours, this means of communication that is the most intimate form of conveying messages to you, I have continued to call the menace in the East Red China and not mainland China. And we know the power of what they can do in terms of cyber warfare. And I noticed that at approximately 12.04, we were stuck in a rut. We were playing promos. We were playing commercials. Our connectors had been, uh, had actually been uh, dispatched from our capacitators. The vintage cap was no longer functioning. It just didn't hold up. Materials had clearly degraded within uh, within what we call the board. As you know, Broadway Bruce Lee has been doing this 45 years, and the board had froze up on him. Materials underneath the console had degraded and no longer were working with the capacitators. All the old analog radio systems were kicking in, and we're not analog any longer. The vacuum tubes, the transistors, the microchips, they were just not visible. And our crackerjack uh, engineer, Dan the Man, had to jump into his vehicle and go at breakneck speed to our Tower of Power in Lodi, New Jersey, and climb all the way up to make those adjustments on those vacuum tubes, those transistors, and those microchips. And after an hour of fiddle-faddling, we were able to finally broadcast to all of you. But I am hoping that you would have remained loyal in that time and didn't cheat on me, didn't all of a sudden go away because it was dead air, or because you were hearing a series of commercials or promos. Or those news updates. Because you knew I would not forsake you. I would come back from the abyss. I would not let the red Chinese menace stifle my ability at exercising our First Amendment right of free speech. I would not allow that. Yes. With the sound resonating through my ears. I remember how often I have risen up to the podium to speak to our peeps out there and let them know it was time to fight back. Let me make mention that suggested that maybe uh, I take on Eric Adams in two years. The swagger man has no plan. I'm going at him because we need to save our city. It's exactly, exactly it.
And that's the mission that I'm on, ladies and gentlemen, and I will not allow any interferences at all. They thought they could psych me out. They thought they could knock me off the air. They thought with that cyber attack that we would not be able to recover and, in fact, might have been knocked off of broadcasting on the world's most powerful station. It's a global entity at night when the sun goes down and when the sun comes up, which will be momentarily, it is the biggest radio station in the nation. And I would not forsake that platform. So Broadway Bill Lee dug in, dug in. And with the 45 years of experience he had, he was spinning in circles. He was circle jerking. And uh, I was saying, which way did you go? Which way did you go? And I had to conjure up all those times that I would read a popular mechanics and try to figure out what this button was and that button was. And then I kept pressing my belly button, you know, my navel, and that didn't work. But finally, the power was restored. Finally, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound was restored. Finally, Dan, the man, had climbed to the summit on top of the tower in Lodi, New Jersey. Yes, did an outstanding job. Now that the distraction of Bada Bing, a.k.a. Satin Dolls, is no longer there at its base, he was able to put in his full uh, total concentration on soldering Soldering the microchips to the transistors to the vacuum tubes, yes. And finally, our connectors were conflated with the capacitors. And that vintage cap that I spoke of uh, to you, uh, Broadway Billy, that vintage cap was sealed on, hermetically sealed on. We were back in action. So... I commend all of you who stood with us through thick and thing, and I condemn all of those who slipped off into the night to catch a few extra hours of sleep. Remember my belief system. There'll be plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. You get nothing else to do. They fold your arms, they throw you in a casket, or maybe if you're observant, they put you in a sheet and they give you a dirt bath. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but I will always be...